It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Windows 11 has been announced, and we've got the experts here to explain what it all means. Ed Bott from the Ed Bott Report at ZDNet. Daniel Rubino from Windows Central. And then my personal Internet attorney, Denise Hell, joins us to talk about a big free speech decision from the Supreme Court. And did John McAfee get whacked? It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 829. Recorded Sunday, June 27th, 2021. You don't even get a beanie baby. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Endava. Subscribe and listen to Tech Reimagined, the podcast from Endava, from wherever you get your podcasts. And by Podium. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. They have free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power growing businesses need to scale. Get started free today at Podium.com slash twit. Time for Twit. This Week in Tech, the show we cover the week's tech news. This is the TPM 2.0 edition. Joining us, Denise Howell. It's great to have her from uh, our former wonderful show this week in law. She is an IP attorney, also at denisehowell.info, blogger. She's also at dhowell on the Twitter and the Instagram and a fashionista to boot. Hi, Denise. Hi, great to be here. Nice to see you. Everything well in the kitchen? Everything well is in the kitchen, in the living room, pretty much the You're laundry. not in your kitchen anymore, though. You're in your, <laughs> no, you're in I'm office. not in the kitchen. Okay, Dennis. never mind. That sounded sexist. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. It's just, I think I remember you being in your kitchen sometimes. No, you do. Okay, Absolutely. Okay. That was more than a decade ago, but that's Oh, okay. my God. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. That's yes. my, That's the source of my confusion. Nice to see you. Also with us, another nice guy I've known, I think, even longer than uh, Denise, Ed Bott. Uh, from the Ed Bott Report has, at it, it has been decades, Leo. Since decades. the mid-90s, when you first started appearing on Dvorak on Computers, our radio show back That's in right. the early yeah. 90s. So nice to see you, Ed. I think you can guess why Ed might be here today, <laughs> along with Daniel Rubino. It's good to see you, Executive Editor at Windows Central. We've got the... Uh, Pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you. We have the Windows team in town. Because Microsoft announced Windows 11. It will not be the only subject of the day, but we certainly have to talk about it. It's really interesting. There, are, Microsoft, with its announcement, raised far more questions than answered. It really has become a like, well, uh, but what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? And in fact, even in the post-announcement communications, Microsoft has been confused itself, apparently. So uh, let's just start talking uh, about Windows 11. Microsoft announced it on uh, when on uh, Thursday. We covered the announcement. We have a stream of that on our Twit News feed, and then uh, did a special edition of Windows Weekly to talk about it. Uh, it is it, it first thing I guess we should say preemptively is Microsoft never said that Windows 10 is the last version of Windows. It was widely reported, but it turns out it was just some guy. <laughs> Jerry Nixon has said it, a developer advocate once, and Microsoft never denied it. Clearly, Windows 10 is not the last version of Windows. Uh, 
Uh, is Daniel is Windows 11 on, on on schedule? It's the it's right about five years, right? Yeah, it's uh yeah the original announcement with Windows 10. Well, obviously, what they were hyping more was more about Windows as a service. This concept that it'll just be constantly updated forever, and there will be new versions and refreshes to it. They never said it, as you pointed out though about the name. And Windows 11, you know, has had a we haven't written the story yet about how Windows 11 came to be because obviously Windows 10X was somewhere in between there. And Windows 11 borrows a lot from that operating system. So it's really interesting to see. But yeah, it's on schedule to release in October. And so they're going to start shipping the Insider build this week and then uh, four months to go. And so they have a lot of time to clarify and adjust things, which I think they definitely need to do. But uh, it's going to be coming out this year. So. I think the picture was also a little muddied by the leaked release uh, of Windows 11 that came out last week that was unfinished. Right. And I think people made decisions yes. about what Windows 11 was going to be based on what was clearly an early uh, beta release. Ed, do we know where that version came from? There was speculation Microsoft released it on purpose to lower expectations. That can't. That's not right. No, I, I, that, that, uh, A, they're, they're not that good. Um, <laughs> and, and B, uh, you know, there, there's just the, 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 the result wasn't what you would expect if someone had leaked that on purpose. No, I think there's, there's a, you can try all you want to prevent leaks from happening, but you have to share code with partners um, along the way. And there's always, you know, if you share it with a hundred partners, all you need to do is have one who, uh, you know, lets it out and, uh, and then the game's, you know, and then the game's over there. Um, it did spoil a lot of the thunder. Um, and the real problem is that it caused people to focus on the user experience, the surface element stuff, instead of focusing on the totality of the picture where, you know, the user experience is a big deal of it, but the stuff like, you know, being able to run Android apps in a Windows subsystem for Android is something that nobody noticed in the leaked build, as far as I know. Right. And in fact, it, that was the kind of the one more thing of uh, Panos Panay's uh, discussion. He even, he kind of glossed over it, but uh, boy, it sure caught my attention when they talked about the new app store. The new app store wasn't in this leaked build. Uh, he mentioned that it will include not only Win32 apps and PWA apps, I'm sorry, UWP apps, I get the acronyms confused, but also Android And PWA. Apps. And PWA. And, and PWA, and, yeah. So everything's in there now. Everything's in there now. Uh, uh, yeah, Even I other think, stores, yeah. Yes, oh, and that was another thing. You can, and th this was very much a shot across the bow of Apple, you can also uh, use your own e-commerce platform, and we won't take a penny, Microsoft said. Right. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of sub-stores join. They want Steam in there. You know, we know Amazon is obviously on board for Android. That doesn't, though, prevent Samsung from joining as well. I'd be shocked if Samsung doesn't bring its own store, its own Galaxy store to its own laptops to run its own Android apps on on there. That seems, that's totally hope, open. I mean, Google technically could join as well. With yeah, why Play. not the Google Play Store? Why choose the Amazon Store? Well, I think Google won't. <laughs> that's why. Oh. So I think Amazon was just, 
they had <clears throat> relationships there already. Amazon store is not known to be amazing, but it's quite, you know, it's workable and it's a start. So get an Amazon. I believe Samsung will probably join too. Maybe Google will come down the line if all this proves popular, which to be honest, there are questions about the valuableness of running Android apps on Windows. We don't know if it's actually going to be a good experience or useful, but I think there's a lot of opportunity here. And um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that all. Uh, people who are following closely might remember that Microsoft had its own Android bridge, which they killed. Uh, yes. and so they're using Intel, something no one ever heard of, which is Intel's Android bridge. Uh, had, did you guys know about Intel's Android bridge before? We don't know did much not, about that. Had you heard? Of, had you heard of it? <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, no. We heard about that kind of a, on the day. I, you know, I went and looked, uh, and Intel released. Uh, Intel put out a press release. Uh, but it sounds like they had just heard about it as well. <laughs> yeah, discredit, right. And they and they then refused to answer any more questions about it. So basically, what it is is a you know, it's a runtime compiler that uh, turns Android uh, turns ARM instructions into x86 instructions. Oh, how so interesting! Executed. Does so that's so that's runtime it means it's done by the operating system, not by the developer. The developer doesn't have to modify their app. Or in silicon, uh, but it's uh, not the, but not yes. the operation, but but by the uh, by the processor, right? So yeah, so so when the program runs, uh, the the you know the program the, the 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 program is written for Android for an ARM architecture, and and then those instructions get get recompiled in at runtime, and uh, and then get executed by the x eighty six processor. Uh, and and we'll see. You know, Intel doesn't have a great track record at doing stuff like this, so I'm going to be curious to see how well it works. And and, and by the way, one thing to add to what Daniel said, the um, the Amazon App Store is, you know, its whole its per, its purpose in life is to deliver apps for, you know, Kindle Fire tablets. Generally, you know, that's that's what it does. The the only app I, you know, I looked at it and I thought, what's what app would I want to run on a Windows PC that could come from the Amazon App Store? And the the one that just leaped out at me is I've got a Surface tablet uh, and I would love to be able to read Kindle books on it. And so having the Kindle app that's written by Amazon, that's in a, you know, ah. that's in an APK. Uh, being able to just run that on my surface would suddenly make my surface useful in places where right now I have to put it away and take out either an iPad or a, or a Kindle device. So that's the one thing where I could see some immediate value, but I can't see much beyond that. Uh, Microsoft showed TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo -hoo! Is> that? <laughs> I think some of the arguments I've heard for this is uh, IoT apps and smart home apps and heck, even my Tesla, right? The, the Tesla app I could run right on my computer. I can turn the heat on or warm it up or do whatever. So I think it's going to be a lot of small, little, little things. And to be honest, maybe that's all it needs to do, right? It's just that one app that someone really wants that they can now run. And the performance should be good, right? This isn't Blue Stacks. This is going to be, you know, a 
you know, as Ed explained, this runs, I think, a little bit better. Yeah, BlueStax was, out, a, was an emulator that really didn't do a great job. Yeah, use a lot of processor yeah. uh, requirements on that. But this also will work on AMD and, of course, Qualcomm's ARM chips. So I'm not really sure the Intel bridge, I think, is for Intel chips, but it doesn't preclude this from running on AMD and Qualcomm. So, uh, but... We got it. There's a lot we need to find out about how this all works. And, well, and in fact, uh, Intel did say that they are working with AMD to run it on Ryzen chips. So it oh, will interesting. Run, yeah, it will run on Ryzen, and it won't actually be necessary on. Uh, I mean, I guess it would have to be ne- necessary to run on ARM chips, but but if you right. have something like a Surface Pro X. Or the Lenovo Yoga C630, like I have here, which have an ARM processor inside already. I'm really curious to see how that story plays out. What does it mean? Well, strategic- knowing Microsoft, it'll. I was going to say, knowing Microsoft, it's going to translate from ARM to x86 back to ARM. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that happening. What does it mean strategically for Microsoft? Does it mean? I think, you know, at the end, I thought Satya Nadella's comments at the end were really great. I thought very interesting and clearly also aimed at Apple. He was really saying, he said, Windows has always stood for sovereignty for creators and agency for consumers. And it he's also been the guy who has consistently said since he became CEO at Microsoft that we want to be everywhere our customers are, uh, which is a kind of a big change from Microsoft's original, you know, uh, mission statement, which is to to get everybody in the world to run Windows, it now really looks like Microsoft wants to be because of Azure and the cloud and so forth wants to be everywhere, including part of Android, part of Mac. Is is that is that what this says? Is it's 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 the universal platform? Yes. Well, the original the original yeah. mission statement for Microsoft was a PC on every desktop running Microsoft software. Right. And and so what you have now is you basically uh, turn that in reverse. Uh, Microsoft software running on every desktop on a PC or anything else. Or anywhere you are, wherever you want to be. That also raises raises the issue of Windows as a service, which uh, Microsoft seemed to have backed down. They said, we're only going to update this once a year. Um, isn't Microsoft this year going to announce a virtual Windows desktop as well? Cloud uh, PC, yeah. yeah, cloud PC. So uh, it's it's really it's a it's a interesting change for Microsoft, and it sounds like from Satya's words that really they want to be a platform for everybody everywhere. <laughs> Some something like that. <laughs> Not it's a bad. Just so wildly yeah, I, I think- different. From the 90s, right? I mean, I don't know. That whole sovereignty for consumers thing flashed me right back to not being able to download Mosaic in Windows 95. They're a long way from that, I guess. Well, and there are a lot of consumers who are saying, sovereignty, what are you talking about? I can't run this on my late model PC. Let's (laughs) let's talk about uh, compatibility. Oh, boy. Really, that was... Oh, before we do that, before we leave, I just I want to mention, Daniel, you wrote about this in Windows Central. Some other people did. It won't just be the Amazon App Store. You will be also able to sideload Android apps uh, onto yep. Windows. Yep. So Which that- is nice. I mean, I, I think for developers, that's super important. But, yeah, it literally means you can 
somehow get a hold of an APK, you can just sideload it into Windows and run it that way. Well, as, you know, as a lot so of Android users know, there's APK uh, uh, libraries mirror. all over the place. Mirrors all over. Yeah, yeah APK Mirror is the biggest one. So yep. uh, you'll be able to get apps. So that's very interesting. And do we think all apps will run or is it I mean, even on the Chrome OS, you can't run all Android apps? That's the question. And how do they run? Can you like, you know, Ed brought up the Kindle app, which is really neat. But will that run full screen? Right. And then obey TikTok the looked properties like it was of, a, a, a phone app on top of Windows. Right. Yes, yeah, so I think there'll be limits, but that may be sort of the goal here too because maybe android developers will start modifying their apps to run on larger screens you know there's like a lot of play here in terms of what this means you know for apps but right now microsoft's taking a very neutral position on apps in the store basically any store can join the microsoft store you can keep all the money uh and we'll run any app win32 pwa uwp it doesn't matter whatever developers feel more comfortable using they can use that it's definitely you know it's an east point that's a very different approach but we've been seeing this trajectory ever since around 2015 microsoft opening everything and this is just a further evidence of that yeah this is a such an adela uh strategy it, yeah it, yeah. And let me just add one one more thing to what Daniel said in there. Um, the store, when it you know it, it started in Windows eight, came to Windows ten, and its sort of mission statement was to be the place where you bought stuff that was guaranteed to be safe. It was running in a sandbox, mm-hmm. and and you you know and couldn't break out of that sandbox. Uh, and and therefore couldn't have malware in it and couldn't be a you know trojan uh, of any kind what this week's announcement said was the new store which is also coming to windows 10 is going to be able to deliver conventional win32 apps and not just the kind that are repackaged using msix but that are uh you know just full trust Win32 apps, you go to somebody's website and you click on their link and the store pops up in a little tiny window and downloads the thing and installs it with whatever switches that you have for it. So So it's an installer as well as a store, really. It's an installer as well as a store. Now, now Now, what they're doing to provide the security there is you're saying it has to be admitted into the store. And once it's, you know, it has, and, and just like with any store, Microsoft's or Apple's or Google's, it has to be inspected, it has to pass inspection and be vetted and be, you know, you're, you're safe. And then, and then there's a hash that's assigned to that app and, and, and you can't change that. You can host the, the app on your own server if you want it. You don't have to upload it to Microsoft servers. It doesn't have to be downloaded from there. But the hash has to match. If you make even, you know, you change even one byte in that, it will no longer download, uh, or it will no longer install from the store using your location. So that's their, that's their way of maintaining the promise of security for a conventional Win32 app that's downloaded from the store. So that, there does seem to be a little bit of a mismatch between the promise of security and the demand for a TPM module on uh, to install Windows 11 and then uh, opening up in so many new ways and different ways. And even Android apps, you got to wonder, I mean, what is the security model going to look like with Android apps running on this? Um, 
Let's talk about compatibility because this was the the biggest upset for people. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of I thought the biggest upset would be they put the start menu in the middle. <laughs> I thought that was going to be I'm going to hear about that all day. Uh, apparently, nobody cared about that. It, I actually aesthetically, I think Windows 11 looks very nice. But uh, there was a lot of upset about I think a lot of people wanted to run it and were upset they won't be able to even on some late model. PCs. Ed, what is the... First of all, this is a moving target. Microsoft has changed the requirements a couple of times since this event. What is the current status? You need a TPM 2.0 chip to run Windows 11? Uh, so it's not a TPM 2.0 chip. That's You so can have it in you know, software too, right? There's a lot of confusion about it. Well, um, pretty much every Intel CPU that's been released since 2015 has TPM functionality, trusted platform module functionality. You didn't need a separate chip the, for this. It could be part built of Built into the CPU. You don't need. Okay. Previously, you needed to have a separate chip on the motherboard. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's analogous to the Mac secure enclave kind of, right. you know, kind of thing. But it's basically, it's a place where cryptographic keys can be stored and they can't be tampered with. Um, and you can use that to do integrity checks, you know, some very serious in integrity checks, uh, especially at crucial times like startup uh, to ensure that something isn't injected into the operating system there. But the, so the TPM requirement, though, isn't the big deal because most even six-year-old hardware has a TPM. Well, okay, you say uh, that, you know, and I've said that, but I hear from people who say, I have an AMD chip, a self-built computer. Uh, it doesn't, right. you know, and, and, right. and you, there is a compatibility checker, things, which Microsoft there, offers, which has told a lot of people there's two things going on there. Run. Yeah. There's two things going on there. One is that um, until 2018, there was no requirement that the TPM had to be enabled. So a lot of vendors shipped PCs without uh, the TPM being enabled. So but you could turn just, it on. But you could, but you could turn it on. But in the device manager, didn't. yeah. In the in the BIOS, the BIOS. In the okay. BIOS is where you turn it on. You have to go into the firm, into the UEFI firmware. Okay. It has to be a UEFI. So if you if you have an old fashioned BIOS, forget it. It's not going to run Windows 11. You need a UEFI system. It has to have secure boot, and it has to have TPM 2.0 functionality in it. Now, for a lot of home-built PCs and a lot of gamer PCs, those might have had the TPM functionality built into the CPU, but the companies that released those motherboards never bothered to put the TPM switch into the firmware. And ah. so those are the people who they technically – if their motherboard manufacturer released a new firmware update that allowed them to turn on the TPM functionality, they'd be golden. But what's the odds that, you know, a motherboard from, you know, 2017 or 2018 is suddenly going to get a firmware update after going four years since the last one it had? Right. Right. So that's so that's problem number one. But it's a, is the TPM, but the much, much, much bigger problem is that Microsoft put a hard floor on CPU compatibility. And basically anything, uh, it's, it's eighth generation Intel CPUs and their equivalent 
on uh, AMD and uh, and ARM manufacturers. Most ARM chips are going to that that you're going to see in a PC will qualify because that's that's a relatively new thing. Uh, but and even some eighth generation Intel chips won't qualify because it's KB Lake, right? Is an eighth generation, but there's some KB Lake. Uh, chips. It's only KB Lake Revision R and later that are going to be supported on Windows 11. So the the official word from Microsoft, this is in the documentation, is that most PCs that were designed and built in the last 18 to 24 months will qualify for Windows 11. Before that, maybe, maybe not. For those people, they can continue to run Windows 10, and it will get updated through 2025. That's its end of life. At least through 2025. So they, yeah. at least means what? Microsoft might extend that. I'm. I would bet. I would say that it's at least a 50/50 bet that Microsoft will extend Windows 10's uh, support for at least a year or two past October, 2025. There's no reason not to, right. uh, because there's good, there's good. The, in fact, if you, if, if you go back to the eighth generation uh, CPU, eighth generation Intel CPUs, those came out in PCs in 2018. The uh, Microsoft's general promise is, you know, 10 year life cycle for an operating right. system. So right. it would make sense for them to try and extend it to, you know, 2027, 2028. So mostly so people those- are just saying, oh, this is funny. I, I'm on a new conspiracy theory. Microsoft did this because they wanted people to say, I really want Windows 11 and I can't get it. Like they like that. <laughs> that is a good drumbeat uh, because otherwise it would have been people saying, I don't want Windows 11. That's disgusting. I'm staying with Windows 10, which is what most people usually say when there's a new version of Windows. This and is- the mystery here is the, the processors. You know, as Ed pointed out with the Kibbe Lake Why R, wouldn't they allow those? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we don't know yet the reasoning. Like, I think we're all open to, okay, Microsoft, give us the argument yeah, what's why. what's the technical argument? Yeah. Right. And so far, they haven't presented it. There's been, like, one of, uh, some from Microsoft said it's not security related. You know, there was this concern maybe it has to do with, you Meltdown know, or some Spectre. of the hardware flaws. Yeah. 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 Or it's not it's just not security that. related. It's not just right. security it's, related. Uh-huh. It, it, they said performance, which was and weird reliability. because because an i seven seventy seven hundred is pretty fast, and uh, it's still faster than some of the Celeron faster than an Atom or a Celeron, yeah, right. So there's no rhyme or reason here in terms of the performance. And the question I have is, you know, with the leaked build, you can throw it on a USB disk and um, use a Microsoft Creation tool. You can install it on anything that runs Windows. You put on a Surface Go, Surface Studio 2. So these are all the PCs that technically do not qualify for Windows 11. It runs perfectly fine on there. No issues whatsoever. So it's not like it can't physically run it. It can. They're just arbitrarily saying, we don't want it on these chips. And we're we're all waiting for the other shoe to fall. I don't think they're going to stick to this. At least, you know, the TPM stuff I'm totally on board with. I think that's you got to have some argument here for security. And I think that's, they, they need to have sort of a break. But the processor stuff, they're going to have to do a little bit better of a job. I could see blocking lower end chips, maybe. If you have, if you have a Core i7, 7th gen, I mean, come on, it is getting a little weird. That's pretty recent. This kind yeah. of lends some credence to the argument. You know, Paul and Mary Jo, last week before Windows 11 was announced, said, 
I said, why are they doing a Windows 11? And they said to juke the PC market because it had an incredible year last year because of COVID. But of course, it's probably going to have a terrible year as a result this year. And they wanted to sell PCs. And so this really is for OEMs because historically people buy new PCs to get the new version of Windows. Uh, this would that That would be a good reason, but I don't think Microsoft would ever admit to that. Do you think that's the reason? So... The sales prediction, I've actually been surprised that sales of laptops haven't fallen off a cliff yet. But the actual predictions is going to be up 18% oh. uh, over the next 20. So it, they're still buying it. And so I think the philosophy Who's buying them and why? Because I could see how they bought it to run Zoom because the kids have to go to class. And, you know, I'm working sure. at home and I needed a new PC last year. But uh, that would sound like it's the, th that they don't have a reason this year. Why? I think it's the permanent change that the pandemic has caused in the ah. workplace. These are the residual effects of it. So okay. while some people are definitely going back to the office, you know, Microsoft and Nadella has talked about this. This um, digital transformation has been, he says, accelerated by five years yeah. just because of the pandemic. Yeah. So we were already going down this route, but it happened so quickly. So basically they're betting on, and the market seems to say that, the laptop or the PC is still going to be the hub of all computing going forward. And the thing about Windows 11, it is true to, you know, juke the market and, you know, to, to drive some more sales, but will it will also open up some new hardware opportunities. You know, this idea of two and ones with dual screens, uh, you know, we already saw they have a new pen that supports haptic feedback. The current pen doesn't support it. You know, we know there's wake on touch where you touch the display and it wakes up. So they're going to be doing a lot more with the hardware, which Windows 11 is, you know, and then there's a the smaller stuff that no one talks about. Windows 11 um, the updates are 40% smaller and it reboots much quicker. And it's going to be able to, you know, we've heard from our sourcing that it'll be able to give you an estimate about how long the update's going to actually take. And it does it all in the background. Nice. Much more like how a smartphone works, yeah. you know? Uh, so there's a lot more of these under the hood changes that are coming uh, that this is going to allow to go forward. Uh, but there's still a lot here we don't know. And I can tell you, there's still features that haven't been announced that will be coming out with this operating system. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Although, that sounds a lot like how Chrome updates too. Yeah. And yes. Leo Leo bringing up schools makes me think about, you know, what Microsoft's strategy is there because Google and Chrome have that market pretty much locked up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 10X was their answer to that. And then they canceled 10X, which left us all wondering like that was your plan for Chromebooks. And now it it seems like they took a lot of what was in 10X emerged it into Windows 11. Now, 10X was going to be a complete break. They were going to continue with Windows 10, but it was only going to be sold on new devices. Windows 11 is really a hybrid uh, strategy here. They're, you're still going to need sometimes new hardware to run it. Not all the time, but as we just discussed, some of the time. And they are, you know, making somewhat of a hard break, but it also brings over a lot of the stuff from 10X and 10 into one. I don't know the story behind that. I, I would love to know, and I'm sure we'll find out. I'm sure Ed will do some reporting on this about what the transition, what was that discussion, why that happened. But, you know, the school, you know, Denise's right. I mean, Chromebooks dominate in the U.S. for schools. You know, we'll have to wait and see how Windows 11 plays into that. But it is a lighter operating system technically. But I'm not sure it competes completely with Chrome OS yet. I'm kind of surprised to hear PC sales are going to be up this year. I uh, yeah. I, I'm going to have to retract my long-standing statement that the desktop is dead because it sounds like the <laughs> desktop is not only not dead, it's quite alive and well, which surprises me a little bit. 
we are seeing both Apple and Microsoft make their desktop operating systems more like mobile operating systems. And in Microsoft's case, even it's actually in both cases install uh, phone apps on your desktop. But the desktop seems like it's alive and well. Is that a surprise? Doesn't surprise me. It surprises me. Um, I thought this was well, this nobody. So here's the everything was going. Here's mobile. the thing. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the phrase they kept using at the launch event this week was hybrid work. Um, and and uh, so a lot of people who were forced home for the pandemic, uh, you know, just just dragged out. I, I heard from a lot of people who just dragged out whatever old piece yeah. of crap PC they right. had. Right. And they made do with it. Um, and because they now, thought it was temporary. Because they thought it was temporary. And now they see, ah, okay, I'm going to be spending a lot more time at home and in the office and in other places and such. And so I need to replace this this piece of crap that I thought I was just going to need for that a little while yeah. with something with with something more useful. Um, and you know, and that explains I think that explains the success of the M1 Max. Uh, you know, which have, you know, tremendous battery life and they're, you know, they're lightweight and, and, you know, impressively fast. And if, if, you know, people who had like a seven-year-old Mac are feeling like, oh, okay, this is a, you know, it's a worthy upgrade and I'll do this. People who are in the Windows world, I think are in a very similar situation. If they've got a six or seven-year-old PC, the compatibility, uh, the compatibility questions here, um, sort of accelerate the upgrade decision for some of them. And it now seems that people will probably wait till uh holiday. I don't know. Microsoft said holiday 2021 to buy a new PC with windows 11 on it. Right. Or uh, I guess you, know, you could buy one today and upgrade. Uh, yes. Right. They're doing, yeah, they're doing the compatibility thing, which has a checkered history. Uh, at, at Microsoft, but you know, they're, they're, but but basically, any new PC that you buy today, except for the Surface Studio Two, uh, should run Windows Eleven. I love it, except for the Surface <laughs> Studio the Two. Irony. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I'm saying I can't imagine they'll stick with this. The other thing I'm curious what our Windows experts think about is is Office and its role, sort of going forward, and and hearkening back to the fact that. If kids are growing up on Chrome and used to using every all of Google's products in the cloud, you know maybe Office becomes less and less relevant. And it's this pretty is cloudy a hedge now. Against that, it's pretty cloudy now. Yeah, uh, Office it, by default saves that, to OneDrive. Right, but is it something that that young people use as they grow up and get used to? Right. And get, I always feel terrible when high schools require kids do presentations in PowerPoint. I feel like yes. you, you poor, <laughs> you poor child. Or, you know, they use Google slides too. I mean, it's yeah. like the, the, yeah. the, the point is to do a slideshow. They don't care. You know, they want you to use right. whatever the school software is. And it's most often some sort of Google product. No, it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, I hear this all the time that, you know, with schools relying on Google that, you have a generation growing up basically using Google products. There is a tension because when you go into the workforce, that doesn't seem to be the case. You still have a lot of enterprise and Fortune 500 companies all using Office, which means 
where does that tension go, right? Do the students have to convert or is it going to be the companies that convert? It's not like Office has turned into a bad product or it has any negatives to it. In fact, Office is still doing extremely well. Uh, Subscriptions are always up every year. Um, But I don't know how that tension gets resolved because it's true. And I think that's one reason why Microsoft definitely wants to, you know, have a more aggressive approach in the schools and they're trying to find an answer. How Windows 11 plays into that, I think remains to be seen. Microsoft hasn't sold us that story yet. Mm-hmm. One fascinating thing about uh, Office 365 today is that you can use it without ever installing the desktop apps. Yeah. You can treat it as, and and it is, the experience is like a, you know, through the looking glass bizarro world version of Google Docs. Uh, instead of, G Drive, you've got OneDrive. Instead of uh, instead of Google Docs, you've got Word Online, and you've got Excel Online, and even PowerPoint Online, and Outlook instead of Gmail, and you can do the entire thing in a in a browser uh, without ever touching a desktop app, without ever having to manage a file in File Explorer or in Finder, you know, whichever you can just and and. I mean, that to me is seems like it's ultimately the answer to the, the, you know, the question that you posed, Leo or or Denise is, is, Mm -hmm. you know, how do the the folks uh, that, you know, the the kids who are growing up with um, living in the cloud and working on school assignments in the cloud, how do they transition into the, the workforce? Well, if the workforce allows them to continue working in the cloud and, you know, the menus look pretty much the same and the editing surface looks pretty much the same. And all you have to do is learn a few slight differences, but everything, I just open a browser and I click on my saved shortcut and boom, there I am editing a document and working on a spreadsheet and such. Um, Then there shouldn't be a transition really. Mm -hmm. They are starting to ship to some versions of, um, Windows. I've I've actually had a couple laptops, new out of box experience where the Office suite is installed, but as PWA apps. Oh, interesting. Uh, it just oh. yeah, just as Ed was saying. So they're fact, basically the web the apps. Out. They're the web apps. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that's the way Outlook is going. Uh, Outlook is an excellent PWA right now. You can run it. In fact, they just released an extension, which is brilliant. This is a small little thing that's so good. They released an extension for Edge that connects to your Outlook. So you don't need to leave the tab here and you just click the tab and it drops down a little mobile view wow. of your inbox and you could read your email. And so they're they're doing a lot of this, but yeah, Ed's right. I mean, PWA, Microsoft's all on board with it. And this idea of like web versions of Office, is, it's already here. You can do this all right now. And it is pretty good, although there's no dark mode yet. So I'm waiting until they get dark mode. I'll explain for those who are saying, what are they talking about? Progressive web apps or PWA apps are websites that can become static uh, with the help of service workers in your browser and, and live on your desktop, operate offline, connect when necessary, but don't have to connect to run. It's kind of a hybrid app model uh and it's something google invented microsoft and google have been very forth uh very uh, promoting it uh apple has been somewhat suspect uh about it um, right and, and mozilla has it kind of abandoned it. Uh, and well that's what's really surprising firefox abandoned all support for pwas but yeah. people have been using you know web apps ever since gmail 
So I think they're very comfortable with the idea of opening up a browser and that, that is the interface to all of their apps. I think they're very comfortable with that as long as it yeah. works and it can work offline. Why not? Um, There's still I mean, a lock-in Safari component. There's still a lock-in component that has to do with your where your data lives and or has lived for all of your life. Well, we're clearly moving towards that data in the cloud model, right? Yeah. Both right, Apple and Microsoft default to their own clouds yeah. for storage. Uh, on both Windows and Mac OS, uh, many of your folders don't live on your desktop. They seem to be on your desktop, but they're really on uh, the cloud, OneDrive or iDrive. And that's a little right, weird to already. me. I don't like it. <laughs> but right. I'm, I feel like I'm an old-timer. Little... That's why I, I thought the desktop was dying because it was just old-fashioned. But I guess a whole new generation has discovered the desktop. But as we can see, it, it isn't the desktop. I know it's a hybrid thing. Yeah. So I, I guess email aspect. figured this out a long time ago that right. you can right. yeah, but but maybe other um formats need to make data more portable as Even, well. Email's been very influential in this, I suspect. Yeah. You know, there was another um there was sort of a hidden part of the announcement this week is that uh Teams and chat is going to be uh integrated into I think it's integrated into the taskbar, isn't it, Daniel? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, weirdly, so. is not pre-installed as far as I could tell. You still have to download it. Uh, is that right? That's what Paul I was think saying. It, no, I, think it's, I think I think it's Teams good. will be pre-installed. It will be pre-installed. Yeah, 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 it will. But here's the. But here's here's why that's relevant to this discussion is Teams, um, especially in education, it wants to be the hub yeah. for all. It's becoming of those, a platform more uh, and more. It's become, it's becoming a platform. And guess what? If you go to Teams, you get to, again, to address Denise's point here, if you go to Teams, you can add, uh, of course, OneDrive is already there, but you can add Google Drive to it. You can add Dropbox and you can add Box. And any other cloud provider can, if they, uh, all they have to do is use the APIs, uh, they can add their cloud storage into um, into Teams and thus into Office 365 as well. And you can integrate into the ribbons and such so that um, you can share files and uh, co-edit files, even if you're not in OneDrive, even if you're in Dropbox or, um, or Box. That's something that I don't think Google has done and I don't think Google would do. Um, and it's sort of... You know, it's it's in Microsoft's DNA to to do that. And it'll be interesting to see whether that uh, becomes a competitive strength. So it's when I look at Teams integrated into uh, Windows 11, uh, it really looks like a phone app. And I think that this is in response to the fact that people do a lot of their communication now uh, in the messaging apps on their phone. That's what this looks like. Uh, and so this is, to me, part of the phonification of the desktop or, the, you know, the, the mobile integrating into the desktop. Um, we thought at first that this would be uh, like the whole thing would be Teams-centric. Teams is turning into an operating system of its own. But uh, I guess it's just Teams integrated into Windows 11. Um, October? A uh, free upgrade for Windows 10 users as long as your computer is compatible. There is a compatibility checker, which, Ed, you pointed out, has changed silently uh, uh, since uh, it first released um, to tell you whether your hardware can run it. 
Is it's actually, I should point out, there's a there's a free app on GitHub we just wrote about on yesterday called um, Why Not Win 11, <laughs> I think it's called. <laughs> it's open source. And it's a much more detailed app that you can run that will delineate the reasons why your PC technically ah. doesn't qualify. So it's not just the CPU, it goes into the architecture, the cores, the generation, the TPM. It does all that. It has 11 categories and it'll check each one of them. It's a much better app, of course, than Microsoft, which is just, you know, typical Microsoft in this case. From Robert C. Mail, who says, why not Win 11 is not controlled by me. If you're the owner, please contact GitHub. Okay, so no, no, no. That's no. Is this uh, the wrong one? The, no, he's saying that the website why not win eleven dot oh, is not controlled by him. He wants that uh, website right now. It's on GitHub uh, under one. That yeah. makes a lot more sense. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, this looks great. Yeah, Microsoft's uh, compatibility checker is singularly non-communicative. It didn't even create a log file yeah. for heaven's sakes. Which yeah. is, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, and that's that's something that every uh, as part of the check. It's doing all that stuff. All it has to do is dump the output into a log file and put it in a well-known place. And then and then you can open a text file at the end. And they didn't even do that. Uh, it's just, I, there's something about this whole week uh, strikes me as just strange because they, you know, they didn't have their compatibility story ready to go. There should have been a white paper that explained in in you know Microsoft BS terms, um, you know why they're doing these things. You know they have all of their fluffy language on it, but they they should at least have had a white paper ready to go that says here's why we're insisting on a minimum you know CPU generation because it will do this that and the other thing, and you're going to have the greatest experience and the most compatible and reliable. But they didn't they didn't even have that ready, and now they're scrambling to get this thing ready and publish it next week. But, you know, the, the, the users are already standing at the gates with the pitchforks and the torches and not necessarily ready to read the white paper. <laughs> They're going to burn it. Like I said, I think Microsoft to so, in some way likes this. It's much better to have people saying, why can't I get Windows 11 instead of, I really don't want Windows 11. Uh, is this? It was a it was a big change. Yeah, from last week it was. It's just a stupid skin. They just redid right, the start right, menu. Right. Why don't call it Windows 10.1? And now everybody's like, "Wait, what do you mean? I can't get it." So it <laughs> I want it. Kind of funny. Uh, yeah. the, is this is this a consumer version of Windows 11? This is the this is for all Windows users eventually. But businesses are notorious yes. slow to adopt, uh, especially when there's a cosmetic change because that means retraining people. Sure. Yeah, the general release we're expecting October, maybe even October 6th, um, but that date is flexible. But that's going to be the for the seekers. So if your computer qualifies and you go check and you can then click and download and install it, the um, that will continue through 2022, at which point it becomes an automatic update. And you can, we're told, still can defer. Like if you don't want to go to Windows 11, you don't okay. need to go to Windows 11, okay. although that's probably not the problem. So. Denise, I know you're not uh, a, a big Windows user. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry we had to it's spend funny. the first half no, hour talking about this. It's actually super interesting to me because I think in today's day and age, we're sort of an everything user. You know, yeah. we have PCs in the house and I'm on a Mac right now and I've got a 
an Amazon tablet and, you know, it's everything. That's <laughs> really true. Know it all. And I think that's kind of what Satya Nadella is uh, saying. Yeah. It's interesting. At the end of his talk, by the way, I liked it that they started with Panos Panay, who seemed a little down, but I think he was just trying to be sincere. Uh, Nadella came on it afterwards instead of kicking things off, which I thought worked very well to kind of put a button on it and really talk about a strategy. Um, and, 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 and I think also to kind of, uh, rub Mike uh, Apple's nose in the fact that, uh, windows is open and, uh, supports agency and is not going to, not going to close down. He also quoted Schopenhauer, which is a little weird uh, at the end. <laughs> he didn't mention him by name, but he said, I am uh, reminded of an analogy from a 19th century philosopher who compared creators to objects in our solar system. He wrote about meteors that flash but fade away, planets that burned longer but whose energy is confined to their own orbit, and compared them to stars that are constant and light the path of their own. He says, we want Windows to be a star, a permanent, constant light on the path. Um, that's interesting. And I don't know if that's something new from Nadella, but uh, it is much more Windows centric than his previous uh, statements. So, it was, well, it was a time where people were. Go since ahead. he's venturing sorry, into the heavens and and invoking <laughs> science fiction principles, I thought you guys should know, in case you're not watching the IRC, that Reverb Mike and P.S. Chops think that William Gibson should call his next novel Why Not Win 11. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I doubt that will happen. That will happen. <laughs> Daniel, what, what were you going to say? Oh, just that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, people were calling for Nadella to kill Xbox, to kill Surface, to yeah. kill Windows. Yeah. You know, and this idea that Azure is everything, and they're just going to turn to basically an IBM kind of company. And this is a doubling down. They've doubled down on Xbox, which paid off. You know, they put the right people in. I would say the real change is they put the right people in charge of this, right? You have Phil Spencer doing Xbox. He's doing a tremendous job. Yeah, but they spent a lot have, of money, their second biggest acquisition uh, of all on, uh, on a game yeah. company. So. Uh, yeah, you know, they're clearly uh, all in on on Xbox. They're all in on gaming, and they're all and in Surface on Windows. Surface is still there, and Surface, yep. and you yeah. got now the guy in charge of Surface, in charge of Windows, and he's really passionate. Panos, Panos is really Panay. passionate about it, and yeah. we're all, you know, and we're all very excited about seeing what he's done with Windows. And this is his first year. I mean, this is what he's done in the first year of him taking over Windows. It's pretty impressive. So they're yeah. they're. They're back, I would say, with all this stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, it's kind of counter what I thought Microsoft was going to do is move Windows to the cloud, solve the security issues uh, by, you know, basically managed Windows. Um, and I guess I was wrong on that. I really thought that was the future for Microsoft. I really... I think it's still there. It just, but it's a couple it, of years right. out, I would yeah, say. Yeah. And to the right. point of, of juicing the PC sales, gaming's not going anywhere but up. And you're not playing games without a yeah. PC. Well, that's yeah. it, you know that's what's also interesting. You can now play Xbox games on your PC. Um, they, they've, thanks to xCloud, you can play Xbox games anywhere, really. Uh, mm -hmm. So you would think they'd be promoting the console, and I guess they are. But because it's hard to get the console, they're also saying, "Look, you know, you could still play it in other on other places." There even and there are people who prefer to play on PCs. Oh, and there was one new feature. Yeah. I, I'm not a gamer, so I didn't pay as much attention as I should have to that to that part of it. But I, I recall there's one new feature that's going to allow you to um, run objects directly from NVMe of... Yep. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the, that direct uh, media access is something that's in the Xbox. 
what is it called? Direct memory? Direct storage. Direct storage. Direct storage. Direct storage. Right. Yeah. That's the one. And that will require a new PC. And that should be a huge performance bump for exactly the kind of scenarios that uh, gamers love. And and there's no reason that that technology wouldn't translate to things like graphics workstations and, uh, you know, CAD uh uh, you know, drafting apps and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, you, it's a consumer release this October. And so obviously gaming is the place to, uh, to focus that there, but that's an, that was an interesting architectural, uh, change that, you know, you definitely will need new hardware for, and some, you know, Definitely new, definitely new hardware. Daniel, what's the technical uh, uh, explanation for direct storage? It requires a fast SSD, um, like an NVMe drive. But what is it doing? Right. Is it is it just loading things faster? What is it doing? I believe it's bypassing parts of the CPU and going direct to the memory. Um, and it's allowed to hold it persistent. So you see this on the new Xbox Series X and Series S, I believe, where you can basically put a game into the background, go do something else, come back to the game, and it doesn't need to reload the game. It just it pops back in, and you're right where you left off. So it's just a sort of persistent behavior, almost like what we saw with tombstoning and smartphones. You can think of it as that way. But it's on a much bigger scale for GPU-intensive apps. And so, you know, Ed's right. I mean, this is, in terms of gaming, you can just minimize your game out of the way, go back to Word, continue and then when you launch it again it's just you don't need to reload the game you won't see the menu pop up it'll just be right there with the game again so this does have ramifications for yeah heavy lifting apps like cad and you know for workstations where all this is going to be playing a major role sam ashkovich writing in ars technica also says it'll change the way games are developed because right now uh when you're writing a game you have to allow for slow load times in between uh big loads and so you have kind of elements of the game where nothing much is happening <laughs> as you're moving from one world to the other, uh, those can open up suddenly and that's going to change how game uh, developers write their games. So that's, that's interesting as well. Um, yeah. I, my, I feel like Microsoft is firing on all cylinders at this point that, that this was despite Except the miscommunications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Despite the miscommunications, they really have the technology anyway, seems to be well on on track and and right on for what people are looking for is that right would you say in the philosophy yeah, too daniel yeah uh, you agree ed uh absolutely um i i do think they they really need to get their uh communication strategy uh, yeah. figured out though yeah, that's um, a problem because even because a lot of the 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 good stuff that they're doing is uh, is just completely getting lost because they're having they're going to have to be spending all their time explaining what they meant, and yeah. and anytime you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah. Well, and and there yeah, there's a lot of backpedaling and and re re explaining and and no, let's get this right. But that's historically going back to the announcement that you couldn't use xbox in a submarine that's historically been a problem for microsoft <laughs> or jerry nixon saying uh, this is the last version of windows um they've yeah i don't know what the problem is maybe bring back uh who was it burston marsteller who was the uh no no uh i want to say warby parker no no it was who was their who was their pr famous pr company 
for many, many years. Come on, Ed. You spent oh, a lot of time. Wagner Edstrom. Wagner Edstrom. Yes, that's yeah. right. They're still yeah. there. They're still They're there? Wagner Ed's yeah. still doing it? Oh, yeah. It's called WE now. Oh. Yeah, okay. It's WE. We, okay. we were, they're WE Worldwide now. WE Worldwide? Uh, yeah. Okay. And just to close out, I would say the other half of this is going to be coming in October. Right. Obviously, Windows 11 is going to be starting to come out then, but I fully expect a big surface event in October ah. where they're going to fill in the other half here with the new hardware. So I really expect a new Surface Pro 8, like a, re, a, a real new Surface Pro 8. Uh, thinner bezels, pen and the, the keyboard, but also reflecting some of the newer technologies that are becoming with Windows 11. Uh, Surface Studio 3, possibly. Surface Studio version 2, definitely. Uh, so this is going to be, I think, the other part to watch. And, of course, their partners, HP, Dell, Lenovo especially, will have all new hardware to sort of, you know, match what's coming with Windows 11. I think that's going to be the other exciting part to, to watch later this year. In October, get ready. Yep. Um, I want to take a little break. We'll come back. We have lots more besides Windows to talk about, but... Uh, I, you know, thought this was a pretty important announcement, and um, I guess, I guess it, I guess it is. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, trying Windows 11. I turned on my Insider uh, build on my uh, PC at home last night. Do is it the uh, which of the three levels of Insider will I need? Dev to, Dev de- channel Dev channel. Oh, I turned on just yep. the uh, the low the slowest no. one. Uh, so you need fast data. Yeah, uh, yeah. Release preview isn't going to get you anything yeah. uh, Windows 11 related. Beta channel isn't going to get you anything Windows 11 related until it's July, almost July, complete. August. Wow. Yeah, July, August, until it's almost feature complete. Okay. So you got to get the fast ring, the dev yeah. channel. That's... And then it will be in, and it will be incomplete. Right. The, the, the builds that are released this coming week will be incomplete. Probably be very much like the leaked ones. Like the leaked probably. ones. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. It's great to have you, Ed Bot, from uh, the Ed Bot Report on ZDNet. Got the experts here from Windows Central, Daniel Rubino, and uh, the the chorus, the Greek chorus, Denise Howell from DeniseHowell.info. <laughs> we'll have lots more to talk about. Non-Windows stuff as well, in just uh, a little bit. Does your son use a Chromebook at school, Denise? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but that is that is the school issued item, and sometimes testing is required on it. You know, in virtual settings for sure. Uh, but his uh, P- his computer of choice at home is a PC. Yeah, I, we had the same thing where the the school issued computer you had to take tests on, but nobody wanted to use it because it was so mm-hmm. crappy. So, right. mm-hmm. oh, you know, uh, Michael has a choice of Chromebooks. Uh, obviously, he can use and uh, preferred, I think, to use a, a a Mac actually for most of his uh, schoolwork at home. Yeah. Uh, in school, will he be in school in the fall? Uh, yes, I think Yay. like in classroom and school. And Woo-hoo. Won't yeah. that be exciting? I bet he's really relieved to hear that. He he had the choice. He did, he chose to attend an all virtual school that um, his district instituted at the beginning of the last school year, and that worked out really well for him, surprisingly to us all. But um, he's going to be a senior in high school, and he very much yeah, is looking wanna, forward to that yeah. social senior yeah. experience back exactly. at school. Poor Michael. He, 
had been doing uh, uh, one-on-one schools and was going to go to the public school for his senior year, which was this past year, so he could have that social experience. And then COVID yeah. hit, and uh, at yeah. least he got to walk. You're off. He got mm-hmm. to walk with a mask on, but he got to walk, and that was a, yeah, that was a good thing. Good. Yeah, and I presume college uh, will have uh, in, in-person classes. I hope so. They're debating that still, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Our show today brought to you by brand new sponsor. Want to welcome Endava. Endava, E-N-D-A-V-A. They've got a great podcast. In fact, season two is just launched of Tech Reimagined. It brings together some of the biggest, most interesting people in tech with industry experts like Guy Kawasaki, uh, Mary Williams, Alex Hunter, Brian McBride, Tom Gruber, Dave Coplin, uh, Inma Martinez, Viola Llewellyn. It, it's it's the big questions around technology and its industries. Guests and hosts will be talking about how these trends impact our everyday lives and how our relationship with technology is constantly reimagined, hence the name Tech Reimagined. Uh, the first uh, episodes, Insurance Reimagined, parts one and two, included Ann Norklet and uh, Kevin Crawford discussing the role IT pay, plays in the insurance industry. Uh, AI Reimagined, these two episodes, The Role of AI Reimagined, featured uh, Boris Sergol and uh, Radu Orgadon talking about the uh, regulations, accountability, and expectations that arise when using AI to solve complex problems and uh, discussed what the future holds for this technology and for those of us who use it on a daily basis. If you're interested in shopping, I love this. This show has everything. Uh, Parts one and two of Our Shopping Experience Reimagined the guests, Thomas Beechin and Jeremy Mays, dive into some of the most significant shifts they've seen in consumer behavior over the last 12 months, including the increasing popularity of direct-to-consumer and buy-online pickup in-store, and how the shift to digital is pushing people and companies to reimagine the way we shop. And Dava, that's really their business, too. They've been reimagining the relationship between technology and people with a look at the most recent experiences with technology and its experts. Learn more about how tech is becoming so much more in this world that is constantly growing and changing. It's a podcast you don't want to miss, an Endava podcast. You can subscribe and listen to Tech Reimagined, the podcast from Endava, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you, Endava, for your support for our show for this week in tech. A reminder, we do have not only the IRC, we've always had that at irc.twit.tv. Some great comments uh, during this uh, conversation in the IRC. We also now have a Discord for members of Club Twit. Club Twit is how you can support our show yourself with a $7 a month subscription. We figured we had to give you something for that 7 bucks. So we have ad-free versions of all of our shows which is really nice, audio and video. Bonus content on a Twit Plus feed, including a lot of the things that happened before and after shows that never make it into the podcast. And then that members-only Discord, which is a really fun place to hang out. Each show has its own channel, but there's also conversations about books, travel, um, coding, comics, Linux. We even have a Linux show on Saturday afternoons in the uh, Discord on the Discord stage. So if you want to join us uh, in Club Twit and... Uh, Hang out in the Discord with us and the hosts. Please do us uh, do us a favor and join Club Twit. More information at twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody out there still using the Western Digital MyBook Live. 
Western Digital stopped making it in 2015. I know a lot of people, I think I had one back then, stopped updating it around that time. In 2018, a serious exploit was discovered that allowed arbitrary code to be run on the MyBook Live. Western Digital didn't put out a patch, they didn't fix it, and now, three years later, it's being exploited, apparently. Uh, a malefactor, a bad actor, a hacker, is using that exploit to wipe people's Western Digital MyBook live. If you noticed a factory reset performed in your vice, you may, you may also notice that all of your data is gone, and as far as anybody can tell, there's no way to get it back. Western Digital says we're investigating. Perhaps they'll issue a patch, but their advice to anybody who owns a Western Digital MyBook Live right now is you might want to disconnect it from the Internet. <laughs> okay. Uh, disconnect your MyBook Live to prevent further attacks while we investigate. I guess that goes to putting everything in the cloud, right? <laughs> oh, yes. These are people probably who said, oh, I don't trust the cloud. I'm going to have my own cloud here in my house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, what it really goes to, if you've got an IoT device, which is basically any hardware that goes on the Internet in your house, you really want to make sure it's being supported and updated and that you're getting regular over-the-air updates. Uh, and ideally, you shouldn't buy anything these days that doesn't get regular over-the-air updates automatically because you just you don't want to just go around and have to update everything. And I feel bad. I've been saying this on the radio show for a long time, but I feel bad because people, most people who own this thought of it as their backup drive, right? Right. And uh, the problem is, if it's the only place something exists, it ain't a backup. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> it's the original. It's the only copy. And uh, I certainly hope people have backups of their MyBook Live backup. Right. But but turning on automatic updates isn't going to help if they're not updating. They're not updating. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, even though you might have bought this only six years ago, it's probably time to replace it. It's, I would guess. Probably want to get Windows 11 anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't have gotten <laughs> Windows 11 on your MyBook Live, so there. <laughs> it doesn't have direct storage. What did you want after all? I don't know. I think about things like the Samsung refrigerators that have their own operating system that gets updated about oh, man. once every couple of years. I guess you're not storing a whole lot of data on your refrigerator, but... <laughs> yeah, but if you bought a refrigerator that has a big screen and a browser, and by the way, this has happened to people who bought this refrigerator, the browser is no longer updated. It is unusable. It can't go on the internet. So... What's that big screen for? <laughs> you got a big, a nothing on your uh, on your refrigerator. I well, it's also it, it's also a point of uh, a potential point of access to the rest of your network. Good point. It's a mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's a jumping off it's a jumping off point, and some you know that's where any you know the really the really good hackers, the ones who who you know want to get deep into networks, they love stuff like this because it, uh, you know, it gives you a toehold and, and a toehold in a place that's not maintained. Well, who can forget the um, Vegas casino that was hacked via a fish tank thermometer? You remember, <laughs> exactly. you remember this? Exactly. Uh, yeah. A fish tank thermometer that apparently was online. Uh, this happened back in uh, 2018. The attackers use the thermometer to get a foothold in the network. They then found the high roller database, 
pulled that back across the network, out the thermostat, and up into the cloud. It probably took a while to get it through the thermostat, but they are very patient. <laughs> and nobody seemed to notice. Apparently, this uh, thermostat was connected to the Internet so you could see what temperature your tank was at, I, I guess. Crazy. Well, and control it because that's the whole right. point. Is Turn it up and down. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. You want you don't want to have to send an employee in to do that all the time. You can just keep an eye on it, monitor it, and everything. It's a it's a perfectly good uh, idea, but uh, security is a process. <laughs> you would think a casino would have. Actually, somebody asked me uh, this on the radio show today, and I don't really have a great answer. Which is now that we know ransomware is a massive threat. Why is it people are still getting bit by it? Why did Colonial Pipeline pay, what was it, several million dollars in ransomware? Didn't they have backups? Weren't they prepared for this? It's not as infected. Yeah. Sometimes the backups themselves are being infected. Yeah. In the case of Colonial Pipeline, clearly IT wasn't up to the task or wasn't getting funded properly because uh, I think we found out later that the way the bad guys got in was through a VPN account from a long a employee who'd left long ago, but the account was never discontinued. The employee hadn't used two-factor and, in fact, reused the password, and it, the password was leaked in a breach. The hackers tried it on the VPN. It worked. We're in, in the famous movie hacker phrase, I'm in. And uh, the rest is history. Two and a, what, two I think it was even worse than that. It was a VPN product. And this happens a lot. It was a VPN product that was installed. And then they they stopped using it, but they never. They didn't even, they weren't even using it, the product anymore, but the server was still running. Uh, yeah. That, yeah because <laughs> Jeez, that's, Louise. And that, but, but that's very, very, very common. Yeah. And, and basically these days, uh, especially in critical infrastructure, you need to, you know, you basically need to assume you're you're already hacked, and and yeah, your job that's right. is not is not to keep them out. Your job is to find them. Yes, um, and your job is to find all the places they could come in as. But um, IT and security are seen as cost centers, um, and when yeah. something is a cost center and and profit, capitalism, et cetera, uh, then, you know, the cost center, no, we're not going to give you another $100,000 uh, or another half a million dollars to right. hire two, uh, you know, white hat, uh, you know, to, to hire your, you know, we're not going to fund your red team. Right. That, I guess know. that leaves it, all up when, to, leaves it all up to Windows 11, right? <laughs> Right. They did say, well, as the they problem. have said year after year, the most secure version of Windows ever. You'd, sure. think, you'd think they'd be smart <laughs> enough not to say that phrase, but uh, people <laughs> but want it to be secure. Across, this is the problem across industry, right? I mean, so we're just talking about TPM 2.0. That plays a role in this, right? Sure. This idea of security. But it's a very unsexy argument if you're a consumer and you just want Windows 11. You're like, I don't, I've literally had people say, I don't care about that. And it's true. You don't care about any of this until it happens. And that's the problem with a lot of these companies who have IT departments. Maybe the IT department does care, but as Ed pointed out, 
financially, the company doesn't. And so they're like, no, you don't get the money for it. So it's, and you see this in medicine too, right? We know preventative medicine is much more effective than treating someone. Yet in the United States, we don't put a lot of money towards preventative medicine. And so I don't know how you solve this outside of that companies. There needs to be regulation. Uh, you know, talk about the IOT thing before, you know, we're with this period where people just threw Wi-Fi and everything and there was no security, there's no standards. And now you're starting to reap that, those security flaws. And so it's going to change. There will be standards coming along, but that's the problem here. We need to have some regulation and some security and even that won't prevent everything, but you know, we'll at least set the, the ground floor for it. And of course uh, the tech industry doesn't want regulation. You know, Microsoft's in an unusual position because uh, they were the first to get investigated back in 1998 by the Department of Justice. They have been kind of left out of this current round of big tech investigations. Facebook, Google, Apple uh, taking the brunt uh, and Amazon, the brunt of the hits. Um, there have been, and we talked about this last week, uh, six bills in Congress uh, with bipartisan support to break up, to regulate, to change the way we uh, we uh, monitor big tech. And this was the week that uh, big tech came to Washington lobbying like crazy. Tim Cook wrote a letter, uh, to, uh, actually it was a phone call uh, to Nancy Pelosi warning them, uh, warning her that the bills were rushed. He told uh, Pelosi, the CEO of Apple, that they would the CEO of Apple told Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, they would, let me get the titles all right, Tim Apple, you know him, uh, that they would crimp, <laughs> these bills would crimp innovation, they would hurt consumers by disrupting the services that power Apple's iPhone. And uh, according to people with knowledge of the conversation, um, it's part of a forceful and wide-ranging pushback, the New York Times says, by the tech industry since the proposals were announced. Denise, have you looked at those uh, those bills no, I haven't read all six of the bills. I've read coverage about the bills. And I guess I'm of two minds on this. I mean, when we remember back to 1998, Microsoft wasn't broken up and lots of people thought it should have been. And, and I, so I, I kind of feel like putting this kind of legislation out there lets lawmakers go to their constituents and say, see, we're taking action against these huge companies that you all have told us you're concerned about. And then perhaps it goes the way of what happened when the DOJ came after Microsoft. I mean, there were some changes and requirements, but there were no breakups. So, so there's that. And then the, I guess the flip side of that is really maybe nothing happens at all. Maybe this is all political. Maybe this is, you know, there are so many people so upset and it's something that the lawmakers can actually come together on and say, you know, we're, we're divided yeah. on lots of things, but we're unified on this. We're going to look out for your interests vis-a-vis -vis big tech and they can look like they're doing just that. And then again, maybe not much comes of it. You um, might think, because, yeah, <laughs> you might yeah, think that I, could happen, but this week the GOP... Republican Party tweeted at the uh, Democratic representative who introduced at least one of those bills that uh, that they said they 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 accused him of taking money from Microsoft and allowing Microsoft to write that bill. Oh, great. 
So, so no, I don't think there's going to be a bipartisan. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's a relief, actually. Uh, <laughs> last week we had uh, um, the uh, host of the Big Technology podcast and the Big Technology uh, newsletter, Alex Kamterwitz, on, and he said at first when I saw these, I thought there's no way that you know there'll be bipartisan support. There's no way they'll agree on this. But he start. He was said, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Of course, the Republicans have different reasons for wanting to censure big tech than the Democrats. But if they, even if the reasons are different, if they can get together uh, to at least pass those bills, he thought that that actually might happen. Um, I'm wondering, though. I, I think the- I don't know. I mean, the EU has certainly decided that antitrust is oh, where yeah. they want to come after oh, the yeah. big tech companies. Um, and, and, you know, and I- so is the White House. You know, Lena Khan oh, yeah. is the new chair of the FTC. Uh, she's very much uh, pro breaking up. She wrote a, a paper in law school about breaking up Facebook. I think she's very much, uh, you know, considered an enemy of big tech, and that's coming from the left. Um, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. But but as I said, big tech is not taking it lying down. They have lots of money to spend. And uh, I think, honestly, money is probably the only language both Republicans and Democrats can, can agree on. So I I'll be shocked if they break up any company. Just yeah, because I don't think break up is necessary. But they, but this but yeah. one of the bills says you can't acquire uh, competition anymore. You know that was the, startups. Yeah, no start. Yeah. That yeah. was of course what Facebook uses used to uh, kill the competition from Instagram and um, uh, WhatsApp. What's they wanted to buy Snapchat. Snapchat wouldn't sell to them. They saw Snapchat as an existential threat. Um, instead, they just kind of uh, copied them, <laughs> and that seemed to do that seemed to do uh, some of the some of the work. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, we were kind of talking about this before how all the the cloud apps start to kind of look the same after a while, and you can move from one to another and not really matter. Well, that even the desktop operating Excel systems, before. yeah, I think you are. I mean, Mac and uh, Windows are looking more and more alike these days. Look, the, the new Windows taskbar is the dock. Yeah, exactly. Essentially, yeah, it's the you know it's the Mac, it's, it's, the center it's, dock. It's, That's right, it's the center right. dock, and uh, you know that it, it has a different. Uh, twist on it in that it, you know, it well, it still has a start menu. Apple never had a start menu and never and still doesn't. Um, one button, no, they, has Linux some. fans would say this is more Linux stealing than uh, Apple. It looks stealing. a little like a gnome, it looks like gnome. Yeah, it does look yeah. like gnome. Um, although, by, gnome by the way, look, gnome know, looks like it the way it looks because of the Apple. So, <laughs> we didn't yeah. mention this, we didn't mention this when we were talking about WSL, 11, but one of the changes. That they've made is you will no longer be able to drag that tax taskbar to, to the, the side or the top. Yes, it has to sit yes. at the bottom. You can move the start menu to the left, but you can't put it on any other edge of the window. Do you think that'll survive till October, or they'll fix that? Uh, no, that'll that'll survive because they've also said that they're going to allow you to. If you don't like that, you can just say, classic. "Give me the yeah. Windows 10 interface instead." Yeah, the classic interface. Yeah, they did that with XP classic. too. I remember. Yeah, uh, Prime Day, Monday and Tuesday, of course, broke sales records. It does every year. Um, in fact, it was big for third party uh, sales as well. Amazon said. It was the biggest two-day sales period for third-party sellers in the company's history. 
And then, in fact, in Amazon, of course, you know, anxious to say this, third-party sales outpaced its own Prime Day sales. 250 million items sold. Robotic vacuums, coffee makers, and Crest white strips. Some of the top-selling products. <laughs> Tells you our priorities. Can we, you got to drink can the we coffee and then go whiten your Have teeth. Have coffee and... Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's see. Let's see if I have a number. $11 billion. That's a 6% increase over Prime Day uh, back in October, according to Adobe Analytics. And it wasn't just Amazon, by the way. Walmart, Target, Costco, Best Buy, and Macy's all had on the same days their own deal days or, or what have you. Yeah. I guess it's the new yeah. Black Friday. I think it's real interesting in the context of the antitrust discussion because they're not, you know, they're not just making up that data. Right. Well, they really are a platform. Do you, I mean, the case was made, you may have even made this, Ed Bot, uh, on previous shows, that even if Microsoft didn't get broken up, they really learned to be a little more judicious after the DOJ lawsuit. Um, do you think that the big tech companies, Facebook, Amazon, Google, uh, Apple are being more cautious now due to this scrutiny? Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, they, you know, they're, they're especially <laughs> to Denise's point, especially because of Europe. I, I think if it weren't for the EU enforcement, um, Facebook in particular, but Amazon also would be much more aggressive than they're being, uh, than they're being right now. That, that threat of antitrust action causes a lot of of um, hesitation in in doing things that they might have just jumped right into five years ago, and it's especially an issue with uh, with Google. I yeah, know. they're you know. and Apple too. Apple's knows that their app store is a sore spot, and so they're trying to you know make somewhat. I would say somewhat cosmetic changes, but they're trying to make. Some- but they've at least pushed back on that with the um, with the big customer paper. centric, yeah, customer centric argument, saying our primary goal on this is the security of our customers, and if you take away our control of the app store and the commerce, then you open the floodgates to bad things happening to our customers, and we we're going to go to the mat on that one. So they're at least trying to make the argument in a way that is, um, you know, that, that, that isn't just, um, you know, this is legal to do this. They're saying it's moral and right, right, right. for us to be doing this. Do you this. think they're going to the court of public opinion on this? They're trying to get the public to say, hey, stop messing with Apple. Tim Cook has said allowing side loading would severely harm the security of our app store. Here's the white paper they put out this week, building a trusted ecosystem for millions of apps featuring a father and young child smiling as they look at their iPad, the important role of app store protections. This is, you know, quoting Steve Jobs back in 2007. This is a timeline uh, of the App Store that Apple put out. We're trying to do two diametrically opposed things at once, provide an advanced and open platform to developers, while at the same time protect iPhone users from viruses, malware, privacy attacks, etc. This is no easy task. That kind of sets the stage for the the whole thing. Um, Oh, and Facebook has done the same thing, uh, trying to rally the public opinion. Right, saying that... It, uh, these actions that are trying are going to 
you know, cripple Facebook as you know, they're going to make it impossible for, for it to be free for advertising supported uh, content. If you take that away, then uh, then you'll lose all the things you love about Facebook. You know, yeah. Facebook is not nearly as good at making those arguments. No, Apple's Apple really good. Is. Look at this. <laughs> A side loaded game bypasses parental controls. And then the evil fox with dollar sign eyes is going to get in and get your child to buy stuff. And no, won't you be sorry that you sideloaded that game. At the park, the copycat filter app John had sideloaded threatens to delete all of his photos unless he pays up. There's that fox again in the trees this time. Uh, let's see. Here you are. That's not your- a cup. That's not a copycat. <laughs> oh, it's a maybe it's a cat. No, that look at the Dad. pointy snout. Yeah, <laughs> foxes well, everywhere that's, offended by this. And depiction. that's terrible. <laughs> Firefox that's terrible. is going to have some stern words. <laughs> John <laughs> riding his Peloton bike unknowingly downloads a pirated app from a third-party app store, and look at the coins flowing in to that fox's net. Oh, yeah. I, I just assumed he was mining Bitcoin on that. Oh, bike. maybe that's, that's probably what it is. Come to think of it, come to think of it, that's what's happening. Yeah, he's he's mining Bitcoin for the fox. A side loaded app violates John's privacy and puts binoculars in the hands of the fox. <laughs> so there, Apple, Apple completely ignoring the fact that the parental controls are a relatively recent development, yeah. and that lots of us have kids who grew up paying that fox the whole way. Well, in fact, those parental controls came because Apple got sued by a a family whose son spent tens of thousands of dollars on redfish and bluefish in some game. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're the one who got hit Denise because my kids were too, they were too old before that was a problem. You know, they weren't young Mm -hmm. with the iPhone, but your, your son, I think was right that age. He was right that age. And we didn't have any, you know, in-family troubles about that. I think we were the exception because I definitely know friends whose kids, oh, yeah. you know, they had they had to desperately call up Apple and say, my well, kid just spent so much money. In my case, it was me, own. not the kids. Yeah. Spent hundreds of dollars on Simpson tapped out donuts. Yes. <laughs> you can't even no, and in my them. case, my kid would come to me with great big saucer eyes and say, yeah. This dragon in Dragonvale yep. is so cool. Yep. And yep. I would renege and go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Michael did the same thing. But at least Michael always asked. But, I, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm the one who gets the email from Apple saying, <laughs> by the way, it's changed now. Michael, a senior in high school, is no longer doing this. But his mom is. <laughs> and so I see a lot of, <laughs> lot of purchases uh, on the various games that Lisa's playing, which is fine. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I get the email, but uh, I'll make sure to charge her. For ages it. and stages, Leo. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> oh, I can't complain. I'm the guy who bought a $7,000 gaming machine just to be a Viking in, uh, in a game that is still occupying far more hours than I'd like to admit. Uh, meanwhile, moving on, uh, Wall Street Journal, by the way. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal that I saw a Facebook full page ad saying, we need more regulation. What is that strategy? What are they up to? There, is that preemptive? Like, regulate us. Don't pass these bills. But tech industry does need some regulation. Or is it just... Yeah, I think Facebook's point is that the... Um 
a lot of the laws that regulate the internet go back to the mid nineties. That's what they're saying. They're and, old laws. Yeah. 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 And, uh, they should, pre- well, and one of those laws is section two thirty, which, oh, which that's the very one. Much desperately needs. That's the 1996 <laughs> law. That's the law they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I'm not sure exactly what they're thinking there, but I, I think they want to, it's preemptive. Be the legislator's partner exactly. rather than exactly. adversary. Yeah, exactly. And let's not forget that uh, Facebook has done quite well, as have Google, Apple, and Amazon, and very likely would love to see laws that prevent competition from <laughs> creeping up behind them. So let's just make first-party data be uh, the only kind of data there is, no third-party cookies. Google, by the way, has backed off. This is a story from this week on uh, their plan to block third-party cookies. Let me pull this up, John, for you. Um, on Chrome, they they had planned to do it next year. Now they say, uh, maybe it's going to be a couple of years. They pushed out uh, the, uh, the date by nearly two years, saying, it takes time to fix privacy problems without hurting ad-dependent websites. This is... And, of course, our revenue, because <laughs> all of those ads come through Google. Um, so if you- well, you have that other article in the rundown about about insiders at Google saying, yeah, it's not the same company. It's not as nimble. It's not as fast. It's much more risk averse. Yeah, I'm so- not sure about this article. We talked about this on Twig. It, it's a strange article. This is from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Google executives see cracks in their company's success and the blame is Sundar Pichai, according to this article, because he's too thoughtful and deliberative and he's not acting fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, You know, this is uh, Daisuke Wakabayashi writing in the uh, New York Times. I'm not... Uh, I don't know what, I, what to think about this. Um, I've been saying... For, I, don't, I don't mind thoughtful and deliberative on big, important right. issues like privacy, but... At the same time, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, Apple sure is is trying to paint themselves as, as themselves as the privacy friendly, where we got your back company. The chief complaint in this uh, Times article is that uh, Google executives wanted to buy Shopify. Um, Mr. Pichai rejected the idea because he thought Shopify was too expensive, um, and you know, and he kind of waffled over. Uh, a period of time to kind of delay it. Uh, they feel like he's too risk adverse. Actually, I don't know if that's the problem with Google. There's definitely a problem with Google and it may be Sundar Pichai, but I don't think thoughtful and deliberative is the problem. Uh, I think Google kills too many projects, uh, which is shaken confidence in, in its users. Uh, they have a huge problem with uh, the firing of Timnit Jebru, the, the, uh, uh, AI ethics researcher who was critical of Google and immediately got fired, uh, even though they'd hired her to do exactly that. Um, I think they've got problems with employees. Uh, they've, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that Google is in great shape, and and I guess you have to point to the CEO. How important is a CEO at a company? We were talking about this on uh, this week in Google on uh, Wednesday, and I use Sachin Adela as the counterexample. Um, he is a, I would say, a great CEO. You agree, Daniel? He's done a great job for Microsoft in his six years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't think he was going to be good, or he was going to be too 
he comes from a cloud background. And that's where, you know, I mentioned earlier, kill Xbox, kill Surface. And there were investors right. calling for that. Right. And so, and he did give things a chance. Windows Phone, he gave them a chance. It's like, you guys get a couple of years to fix this. Otherwise, I'm going to cut it. And they didn't fix it, so it got cut. But yeah, he. I think you do need a good leader in that position. And it's a hard job, right? I think the the best description of a CEO is not necessarily the decisions they make. It's the people they put into Probably the other positions to make those yeah. decisions. That's what you said. Yeah. He's done a great what, job putting in great people in Xbox right. and in, in uh, Windows and so forth. Yeah. Well, and that is... Really, go ahead. Th- that is the definition of what a good CEO does. Sets the strategy so yeah. that it's clear and everybody knows what direction the ship is moving in because these companies are big. You can't... You, you can't turn easily. So you got to set, set the strategy, hire the right people, um, and then and then let them let them do their jobs. And 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 then finally, um, keep from uh, becoming, you know, a headline from the EU antitrust uh, yes. enforcement agencies, yes. which he's done. Uh, he, I, you know, he's decisive too. the very first thing he did as CEO was kill. What was it? The. the uh, it was a Windows RT, and they had a Surface Mini or something that they were going to ship. Surface Mini. Yeah, yeah. They, and there were thousands in the warehouse. And he said, nope, we're not going to ship that product. That was one of the very first things he did. So you can't accuse him of being too deliberative. Uh, he, he never liked the Nokia acquisition, wrote that off as quickly no. as he could, yeah. uh, wrote off Overture, uh, the uh, ad business acquisition at the same time. Yeah, I think he's actually— And he's right about that stuff. Yes, you know, you made the I right mean, moves. It's, yeah, I mean, it right brings up Windows Phone about how mad they are about that. But it was the right decision. He gave them. It's not like he he didn't come in in 2015 and go, Windows Phone's gone. No, he gave them. He's like, you have a runway. You have a couple of years. Let's figure this out. They didn't figure it out. Yeah. And then he killed it. But he makes the right decisions. And he did kill off a lot of stuff that came from Balmer. Who, listen, Balmer had a very different approach. He wanted to be the consumer company. He had a vision there. And Nadella was like, nope, we're going back to our roots. And they've been dragging the company in another direction. And it's been the right direction. They're making money and they're being successful. So, um, you know, I, I can't speak to Google too much, but you're right. You know, the, they're having a lot of turnover with employees, apparently. There's discontent. It's never a good thing when your VPs are talking behind your back to the New York Times yeah. about faith in you as a leader. So there's definitely even just the perception of this is really bad. Um but I can't speak internally to what they do to fix it. They've always been, you know, fundamentally Google, we know they had the Pixel, Google Search, Gmail, but fundamentally they're an ad company. And that's always been hard to square with this perception of that they're a consumer company or are they an ad company? And so there's always that tension. There. It's also a unique challenge for them because they're so successful as an ad company and make so much money. Historically, really, they haven't made much money on anything else. Even the success of YouTube is based on its advertising that they yeah. don't have to succeed in anything else. And as a result, they, they really haven't. Uh, a lot of the other bets that Google has been putting money into have gone away or been canceled because they just, they just not taken off. And, and yet your, they're very successful. To your point about CEOs, I think we could all sit here and, and look at companies like Amazon or Facebook or uh, wind, uh, sorry, we did <laughs> Microsoft, yeah, Apple, Microsoft. and, and we could, Great we CEOs could pull in out, all cases. Yeah. And we could pull out some, 
strategies that we would associate with those CEOs. And I think that's harder to do with Google right now. Like yeah. what is its strategy? Yeah, what, what, is it? what, yeah. what is its CEO charting for it in the future? You know, and it, if you looked at it years ago in, you know, as it's starting out and it's scrappy and it wants to offer people the best darn search results and it wants to have people focus on their 20% time and come up with great creative things that they didn't even know would be, you know, important until they were developed. I, I don't know that Google has that at this moment no. and, and maybe it needs to regain it. They never came up with a second act. They're still, yeah. they're still doing what they did when they started. Uh, and, and the weirdest one yeah. is augmented reality. Where are they with AR and VR? They were there early. They were the Google, Google Glass. Glass was yeah. way ahead of the curve. And it's like, all right, early missteps, pull it back. What's happened with that story, though? Apple, you know, big rumors that they're going to be entering this field pretty soon. Microsoft's already making billions, apparently, in this field. And with, with HoloLens. They're doing very well yeah. with HoloLens. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. My my take on that is maybe they're just sinking so much into AI at this point that we don't really see the impact of that yet, but we will. Yeah. And I, I mean, they bought know. North. I too, say that with sort of about. a sense of foreboding in my voice as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's chapter one of the dystopian novel. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Speaking of dystopia, I thought this was fascinating. I'm a, I'm a fan of spy novels, spy movies. Um, the Wall Street Journal talks about an app called Premise, which is being used by the U.S. military and, uh, and intelligence agencies to spy, in effect, abroad. It, the idea of Premise is they uh, primarily pays users in the developing world to complete basic tasks for small payments. Typical assignments include snapping photos, filling out surveys, doing other basic data collection or observational reporting like counting ATMs or reporting on the price of consumer goods like food. About half the company's clients are private businesses looking for commercial information. We want to open a, a, a bank in uh, Santiago, how many ATMs are there? Where should we put our ATM? But apparently, a lot of the work being done, about half these days, is for the U.S. and other governments. They're marketing the capability of its flexible global gig-based workforce to do basic reconnaissance and gauge public opinion. The company says 90% of its work is gauging public sentiment and understanding human geography by paying users to fill out surveys, a uh, small number of projects involve asking users to go out into the world and take pictures or walk a predetermined route. Sometimes these tasks involve collecting data on nearby wireless signals or other cell phones. Data, this is, this is from Premise CEO Maury Blackman. Data gained from our contributors helped inform government policymakers on how to best deal with vaccine hesitancy, susceptibility to foreign interference and misinformation in elections, as well as the location and nature of gang activity in Honduras, which is oddly specific. <laughs> they would not name uh, their clientele. 
It kind of makes yeah, that's sense. That's the first chapter of the dystopian novel. <laughs> right there. This is, this is in a nutshell. But terrifying it, in it, so many this ways. This is CAPTCHA. This is CAPTCHA as a service. Yeah. Is, is, yeah, I, I really resent yeah. these Google CAPTCHAs because I know I'm teaching their self-driving cars how to find crosswalks and buses. It pisses the hell out of me every time I have to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is, I mean, it makes sense. You've got a workforce that's willing for, you know, a nickel or a dime or a buck to do some basic reconnaissance. They're carrying around the ultimate reconnaissance tool. These smartphones are, you know, always connected. They've got GPS. They've got cameras and microphones. It's perfect. It's, there was one right, that was fascinating a, thing I that found a, in that article. Yes. Which is that they, um, they said, in some cases, the tasks that they were assigning to people were... The task itself was irrelevant. They mainly wanted them to move around and map the existence of like the or the strength of cell tower signals, for right. example, or Wi-Fi or something like that. So even when, you know, so so just go and find, you know, bodegas. Right. Um and and, and meanwhile they just, they're you know, walking right? around and the real data is being collected automatically. In fact, premise apparently submitted a, a, a pitch to the British government uh, last summer saying, we can capture more than 100 types of metadata from our contributors' phones and provide them to paying customers, including location, type, battery level, and installed apps. So, you- <laughs> so I mean, I brought up AI earlier, and obviously these, these clients are not nominatively AI, but they're clearly using machine learning to crunch all this data. And it makes me think about, you know, there are a lot of people wondering what happens when all of our jobs have become irrelevant because AI can do it better and creates more free time for all of us in the process. Well, this will be something that AI always needs is data, sending people out into yeah. the world. It's even to, more dystopian. We're basically yeah. the servants of the AI now. Yeah. <laughs> the AI is making all the decisions, but it needs raw data. So, hey, you guys, just walk around a little bit. We need meat. <laughs> we need meat. <laughs> oh, my God. Fascinating uh, story. Yeah. So, um, Brian Byron Tao at uh, the Wall Street Journal. Kudos for that great story. Uh, Instagram is changing how it works. Actually, let me take a break and then we'll talk about uh, that and a lot more. Live audio rooms, a.k.a. Clubhouse at, uh, f- at Facebook. Facebook's introducing Clubhouse just as Clubhouse is going downhill, right? And, and, and did John McAfee really commit suicide? The conspiracy theories have begun. But first, a word from our sponsor. Was that a good tease? Does that make you want to stay? Yeah, I think so. Our show today brought to you by podium it was great we uh we had we had a contractor come out trying to remember what they were working on and then after they left we got a text message from them saying how was our work rate us on google and of course i did yeah that was cool because the text message i opened all the text messages that's what they were using podium one of the good things that has come from this past year has been Many of the on-demand options, you know, blockbuster movie releases at home, curbside pickup from your favorite restaurant, visiting your doctor remotely. Your customers, if you're a small business, have grown to expect a simpler way of doing business no matter what your product is. That's why more than 90,000 local businesses of all sizes, including my dentist, (laughs) some of our contractors have turned to Podium. Whether you have one location or 1,000, Podium can help you Stay ahead. See, it turns out uh, 
we like to text. People read their text messages. And frankly, I just ask you, if you, if you had a choice between interacting with uh, somebody via phone or text, wouldn't you prefer text? Well, your customers would too. Podium makes doing business as easy as sending a text because when texts get opened, business gets done. And it's great. Your employees will love it because they can text from a single inbox, offering a great experience, a much smoother experience for your customers and a lot easier, more responsive way for your employees to stay in touch. If you're answering questions, you send a text. You're collecting reviews, you send a text. Schedule an appointment or delivery, send a text. Payment collection too, yes, they do payments. Just send a text. Car dealerships use uh, Podium to sell more cars by offering text messaging. Uh, we know of one dealer who sold a $50,000 truck by sending four different text messages. That's it. Dealerships are running profitable service centers with easier appointment scheduling and reminders. I just did that to uh, schedule an appointment on my uh, Ford. It was awesome. Home service providers are responding faster and winning more jobs than their competition. When a homeowner wants to get in touch, they're not going to leave a voicemail. Text is easier for them and it lets you get back in touch faster. And by the way, if, 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 a, if a homeowner texts five different uh, businesses, if you're the first to reply, you are way more likely to get the job. Retailers are increasing revenue by allowing customers to shop via text message. Even with stores open, you know, we've gotten used to this whole idea of shopping from home. A jeweler just sold a $5,000 ring and even coordinated curbside pickup with Podium. Local service professionals keep clients longer and collect payments faster. It's great that they take payments. There's a dentist in New York City, had a million dollars in overdue collections. He just sent everyone a text payment request, collected 70%, $700,000 in just two weeks. Because it's easier. People like using text. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. This is the time. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. Free plans for growing businesses plus all the power growing businesses need to scale and you can get started for free today at podium p-o-d-i-u-m dot com slash twit it's the ultimate text messaging platform podium dot com slash twit i'm a big believer because i because i know i've been i've been uh, i've been using it podium.com slash twit we thank them so much for their support of this week in tech please you can support us by using that special address that way they know that you saw the ad here podium.com slash twit thank you for your support this week we had a fabulous week before we get back to the stories of the week let's take a look at what happened this week on twit this was tweeted a mother raccoon and her babies invaded my attic i put a speaker wish where she could hear it you and leo prompted her to <laughs> decamp why did he include me in this it could have just been you <laughs> previously on twit with news uh, a brand new look for windows windows 11 the app store is brand new and i think pretty much the biggest announcement will be that android apps will be available in the microsoft store via amazon's store and using intel bridge software all about android i review the pixel buds a series earbuds and this new chipset Google says is there to improve on that wireless connectivity issue that last year's model saw. And I can tell you in my time with this, I didn't have any dropouts. I didn't experience any of that. This week in Google. There's all sorts of issues and I don't see amazing, I don't see anything interesting coming out of Google 
in the last couple of years. I think we're going to have to stop measuring technology based on like cool devices and start measuring it based on five years ago. What did my experience look like? And today, how much smoother is it? And it's going to be super incremental and we're not going to be awed by it. Smart tech today. Uh, it's like being part of a group project. Yeah. And a group project with each of the individual assistants. And it's just oh like, my oh God. my God. Like Siri just is still not even working. <laughs> the Google assistant has said, I can't do that for He's you. He's the know-it-all. Can I order something from Amazon for you? Twit. You know what? I'll just I'll just do it. I'll I'll don't you don't I'll worry about it. I'll I'll do I it. I love I'll that. Ah, <laughs> John McAfee. It was breaking news. I think on Wednesday he uh, is was held since October in a uh, jail in Barcelona, held for uh, extradition to the United States, where he's being charged with tax evasion. Uh, word came down from a Spanish court that he would be extradited several hours later. He was dead, found dead in his cell uh, in a prison near Barcelona, 75 years old. Um, he actually was on the arrested in Barcelona in October as he was on the run from Belizean authorities who wanted to question him about the murder of his neighbor. Well, his, uh, his, his wife, Janice McAfee, just held a press conference. She said, John was not suicidal. She somehow blamed United States authorities for this tragedy. I'm not sure exactly how. Uh, you may remember when he was arrested in October, he tweeted, Hey, this is a great jail. I like the people. The food is good. If I ever commit suicide, no, it's more of an Epstein thing. It wasn't me. That's also led to uh, to a little conspiracy theory. I mean, Well, I guess we're left with just two words. What's that? Cetacean conspiracy. Cetacean? Those are whales. Whales. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I, I, it was there. I couldn't lose it. <laughs> uh, he was, I mean, look, uh, in, in the early days, he was, he was a very impressive guy. Worked, I think was working at Lockheed in 2000. I'm sorry, 19, when was it? 1998? When he uh, discovered the brain virus and wrote the first antivirus, McAfee became a very dominant antivirus force, was sold to Intel, I think, in 2010. He had other businesses that he followed, and including some oddball drug use uh, and uh, cryptocurrency businesses. That's what he's in trouble for, is apparently cryptocurrency scams and not declaring income for two years. Um, but he, he also ran for president. Uh, in the, for the Libertarian Party in 2016 and 2020, he thought he was being persecuted for running for president. I don't, I don't think so. You know, I know people who knew him back in the days, and uh, I talked to one of them last week. He said he was never bolted together correctly, uh, even in the beginning. You know, even in the beginning, uh, yeah. you know, and and his and and there's a tremendous record of people. You know, tremendous creativity goes with tremendous dysfunction. And well, and then uh, you throw a lot of money at it. Yeah. And uh, there's no no longer any r rules, you know. Uh, yeah, no consequences. Yeah. 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 There was the guy, um, the guy who started, uh, was it Tony Shea? The, the guy who started Zappos. Oh, isn't that a sad story? Yeah, that's a yeah, But I think story. it's a very similar story. Yeah. Uh, in in some ways, of someone who made so much money 
that nobody could say no to that anybody who said no to him he was just able to disappear and and then became on you know sort you know at that point whatever whatever dysfunctions you have become uh the the dominant force in your life he was you know when you go through the wikipedia article about his various businesses he was incredibly energetic and creative uh, he started one of the first instant messaging platforms, Pow Wow, uh, with a company, Tribal Voice. He invested in and joined the board of Zone Labs, makers of uh, Zone Alarm, uh, back in the day, uh, prior to its acquisition. Uh, at one point in the 2000s, he was investing in and advertising ultralight flights. He called it aero trekking. Uh, he uh, started a company called Quorum X, headquartered in Belize in 2010, aimed to produce herbal antibiotics. <laughs> he uploaded a parody video called How to Uninstall McAfee Antivirus on his YouTube in 2013. In it, he critiques the antivirus software while snorting white powder and being stripped by scantily clad women. It got 10 million <laughs> views. Uh, in 2013, he... Uh, founded Future Tense Central, which aimed to produce a secure computer network device called the Decentral. He announced a company in 2014 called Cognizant, which in a way I think it was ahead of its time, and it was an application for smartphones which displays information about the permissions of other installed applications. It did eventually release uh, an Android version of that. In uh, 2014, he warned people at DEF CON not to use smartphones saying apps are used to spy on clueless consumers who don't read privacy agreements. Yeah, I think that's that wasn't wrong. Um, anyway, it goes on and on and on. He clearly had a lot of energy. Uh, he was doing cryptocurrencies towards the end, and he's being accused of uh, fleecing investors with his uh, crypto security uh, companies. Sad. It's a sad story, I guess. Um, his fortune was estimated at one point to be worth $100 million. Uh, towards the end, much, much smaller, as little as $4 million. So John McAfee, dead at 75, and uh, I'm sure that the conspiracies will now proliferate, as they have. With I mean, the, he set it up perfectly, right? If yeah. you're going to, he always trafficked it, trafficked it in, in using conspiracies. I can't think of a better way to do that than just preemptively put it out there like, hey, if anything happens to me, it's because of a conspiracy. Yeah. And then, of course, it, it you know, now you have everybody going, see, it's, it's true. But it's like, I don't know. He, he was a master Andy Kaufman doing what he did. Andy Kaufman is going, yeah. damn, dude, wish I thought of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually saw some people speculate that he is not dead, that he paid off the uh, Spanish jailers uh, and... Uh, <laughs> So I don't know. Um, he got a tattooed. So he had tweeted, "If if if you read that I've been uh, that I've committed suicide, it's I was whacked." And he actually got a tattoo, <laughs> whacked. W h a c k d. He said, "I got a tattoo." He tweeted, "This is back in 2019. I got a tattoo today, just in case. If I suicide myself, I didn't. I was whacked." Check my right arm. I'm not sure what the dollar sign has to do with it. Whacked. Whacked. Huh? Schwacked? 
Is it because of Bitcoin? Maybe I was schwacked. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not one to believe in conspiracy theories, not but he was one. about to get extradited to the U.S. To yeah, the timing was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was and he's going and he's going broke. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And he's going broke, and his legal fees uh, for a case like that are going to be are going to take every penny that he has. Uh, and, and he's he's and facing seventy five years old. He's facing yeah. a um, thirty year potential thirty year sentence at the age of seventy five. It's a it's a life life sentence. And if yep. he believed, as I'm sure he did, that the government was out to get him, he probably doesn't believe he could get off. So, yeah, maybe maybe he just thought I'm going to deprive them of the. Uh, I mean, people change their minds. <laughs> what do you want to say? Yeah, he changed like, his mind. He, he's just like he said, there would be no more. Uh, Nothing after Windows 10, right? And there yep. we are. Windows yep. There we People are. People change their minds. People change their minds. <laughs> so, and not, well, it always comes can, back. Uh, not to be We too can pretty late. much credit Microsoft for his success, right? He he was able to sell a very effective antivirus. Yeah, thanks to Microsoft's Windows. Plus. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another, oh, DOS. I think he started with MS-DOS. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it was sure. 1980. It was the 80s. 80. You're right. It was the 80s. Yeah. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Hey, before we move on, I do want to mention... Uh, as as we should any time suicide is mentioned, that this is a triggering topic for a lot of people. If you are thinking about suicide or you're worried about a friend or a loved one, there is help out there. People really care. We really want you around. If you want some emotional support, if you want somebody to talk to, the Lifeline Network is available 24-7 everywhere in the U.S. Suicide Prevention, lifeline.org or call 800 273 And I'm sure every country where uh, we have listeners offers something similar. Please take care of yourself. We don't want anything to happen to you. Frank McCourt, real estate mogul, billionaire. He apparently is going to save the Internet. He's former owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He says, I'm going to spend $100 million to rebuild social media. The effort he's called Project Liberty centers on the construction of a publicly accessible database of people's social connections, allowing users to move records of their relationships between social media services. I don't know what the technical underpinnings but are, but $100 million is enough money probably to get some people working on this. It would use the blockchain to construct a new internet, this is from Bloomberg, a new internet infrastructure called the Decentralized Social Networking Protocol, DSNP. Um, The guy he's hired to build it, I don't know, his name is Braxton Woodham, co-founder of the meal delivery service Sunbasket, former CTO at Fandango. Apparently Woodham had been thinking about something like this. This sounds like a TV show. Maybe that's the maybe maybe Netflix is going to give him a billion dollars for the hundred million dollars he's going to spend. Doesn't it? Sounds like startup. The only thing I like about this idea, the one thing I like about this idea is they're not trying. They're going to have a public version of this, like a demonstration app or something. But they're not really trying to be like we're going to create another Facebook just differently. They're creating the underpinnings for further newer social networks to build off of that might actually stand a chance. Cause if this was just a, you know, all we've seen so far, it's like, Oh, Twitter stinks. Let's do parlor. Right. And like everybody's trying to create just an alternate version of something that already exists. And those almost never work. 
but this is a little bit different. And I kind of do like the, let's go under the, you know, create the underpinnings for a new system of social apps. Right. So I think if we could reset the internet right now, we would all do it way differently <laughs> to be, we wouldn't, you know, we'd start charging people for information instead of just giving away for all for free for once, right? So this may be a way to do that. I still think it's a massive uphill to climb, but I like it is different idea. at least. It's the idea is yeah. uh, use blockchain for two reasons. One, to make your uh, social graph portable so you can move it around. Yes. But he also says blockchain would discourage bad behavior because people would be tied to their posts forever. I don't know if that's a yes. good idea. <laughs> uh, no, I, that's the way it should be. But maybe it is. Maybe if you knew that what you wrote on Twitter was going to live uh, on forever. Doesn't South Korea do this where like you have to be registered with like ID and stuff like that? I know like some countries do control this. And there's always been this attempt of like when it's tied not always, but when it's tied to your public real name, right, and a history, that does a result in accountability. There's this whole thing, right, that the way people behave on the Internet is very differently than how people would behave in person. Not always the case, especially in the United States. And people do still bad behavior on Facebook. But there's at least a beast, the, you know, just having a random name or something like that and no accountability. Uh So I do. I, I think this is an interesting thing with the blockchain, this idea of it follows you and you can. It works both ways, right? The ACLU is uh, selling a I, new T-shirt <laughs> if you want to buy it. <laughs> Have you seen it? I think you've seen it, Ed, from your laugh. Oh. Uh, the ACLU. Can you show it? Yeah, I can show it. I don't know if I okay. can read it. I can show it. It. Uh, it. Go ahead, show it, John. Come on. John's my uh, uh, unofficial censor. You can show it. I won't say it out loud. F school, softball, cheer, everything. And Denise, you know what this is, right? This is a very famous tweet. Tell us the story. As a lawyer who deals with social media issues and the mother of a high schooler, I definitely know what this T-shirt is. I may be buying this T-shirt from the ACL. I know. I kind of like it. Yeah. So tell Um, us the story. So uh, interestingly, uh, there was a young woman who she was 14 years old, which I think is really interesting. You don't you see that sort of glossed over. How many 14 year olds get so upset about not making varsity? Is that really the era we're living in now? But apparently so. She was a um, cheerleader. She did not make varsity and uh, got upset and went on Snapchat and uh, did that T-shirt quote rant um and and importantly didn't do it on school premises didn't do it on school time didn't mention anybody at the school didn't even mention the school just did a message because she was upset and and she she was sad and she used a strong word but that's not illegal no and that's exactly uh where the courts wound up with this ultimately the supreme court of the united states in an eight-one decision uh, so we had sort of resounding agreement on this. Who was the, the dissenter? Of, it was Clarence Thomas mm, who said historically <laughs> uh, schools could discipline students in circumstances like those presented here. Well, historically, we didn't have Snapchat that kids could so, rant on. So she was on 14. She was a high time. schooler. And what did the yeah. school do when she posted that they snap. suspended her for a year whoa from it got yes it for got back. a year yes and uh, pu- importantly public school right who are the the only school entities that we need to concern ourselves with and discuss the first amendment about a private school could do it 
I presume. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Private schools, private companies. First Amendment doesn't impact. So, their John, actions. if you were to actually tweet this, I could even if it was at home on his private time, I could fire him for that. No. Uh, you you can yeah I could absolutely. We're yeah. At, it wouldn't be illegal we're in an at will at will you have an yeah, at will employee yeah, yeah all of, of our employees you're are not, at will yeah you're not California. constrained by the first amendment you are not part of the government but the government <laughs> but which is a public school is the government the public the public schools are so, historically yes. it's always you know and I come from an era where the schools would tell you how long your hemline could be whether what t-shirts you could wear you should cut your hair and it's always bugged the hell out of me. Uh, mm -hmm. But but still, that's attending school. This wasn't even during school hours on school property. Correct. So the school was reaching out to say to this teenager, we control every aspect of your personal life. Right. And I, I know you have uh, school age kids, Leo. I don't know about um, Dan and Ed but, and lots of folks listening, but I've been noticing more and more that schools attempt to get parents and kids even that don't get me started they they try and get kids to sign documents which i always think is hilarious because of course anything a child under the age of 18 signs is not legally valid as a contract or anything else but be that as it may they think they think it sends a message if you have a child sign off on something that they've read and acknowledged it um but they have parents, which is which is more critical, also agree that these are the policies that will govern their children. And those off-campus policies are starting to get a little concerning uh, where the school will, you know, let you know, hey, we reserve the right if your kid is misbehaving in a way that we find troublesome, uh, that we can discipline that child even when they're not on yeah. campus. Um, so this, this was, this case was sort of a test of that and, and how much authority they actually have. And it's not that they have no authority. If, uh, the, the court was um, clear that there, uh, could be situations where there's a substantial interest in regulating the conduct, uh, for example, severe bullying, threats aimed at teachers or students, participation in online school activities, or hacking into school computers. Uh, that yeah, had was, she uh, said F yeah. uh, another person on the cheerleading squad, that would be very, very different. I don't think a court right. would have uh, upheld uh, this or would have overturned right. this decision. Right, but just, you know, a, a general teenage rant uh, <laughs> You should be allowed to be upset. Yeah. yeah, good quote from the opinion. Sometimes it is necessary to protect the superfluous in order to preserve the necessary. Great line. Who wrote, yes. the, who wrote the decision? Justice Breyer, who wrote the Beautifully decision. Beautifully written. And Justice yes. Breyer, who's in his 80s and uh, is, is under some pressure to that retire. That would be a great opinion to go out on. It really yeah. would. Uh, no, yeah. uh, there the pressure <laughs> continues. My <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what this... I, Go ahead, Daniel. So I was going to say my only concern. You know, my only concern with this decision was, um, it's an, it was kind of an easy decision. Like when we look at what she said, mm -hmm. being the context out of school, to me it was like cut and dry. This wasn't an issue. The question is, and you know, Denise, you were just talking about this about this idea of like kind of regulating behavior. What if it was racist behavior? Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like the you know people on the left then would have come from the other angle because what happens if the school want to? do some kind of punitive action against the student for maybe saying going on a racial tirade on, on one of these yeah. social networks, what would that be like? So, you know, this case was really easy to decide, but yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. 
I think in the wake of this decision, there's at least guidance on that, 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 you know, I think okay. that what you would see is courts deciding, well, it's unpopular speech, but if it's not, you know, directly threatening or that, that, that there might be some protection there, but it would depend on the exact statement and whether it could be construed as, you know, bullying or a threat or some sort of, um, well, the school, the school, the school said we took action because uh, uh, other uh, other students followed her Snapchat, including some of the cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. And one of the students who received the photos showed them to her mother, who was a cheerleading squad coach, and the images spread. That week, several cheerleaders and other students approached the cheerleading coaches visibly upset about her post. It's really interesting. You wrote, raised an interesting question, Daniel. What if they had been racist? Uh, that's an interesting yeah. uh, question. You're right. Uh, in this case, it was pretty clear cut. It's it's you know nobody's nobody's feelings were hurt. Nobody was named. Maybe some feelings. I mean, you could hurt. put it on a t shirt, right, and wear it. Right. <laughs> it's funny, which goes to kind of right. tell you how unserious her speech was, right, or the, the comment she made. Talk but, about making a yeah, Supreme I could definitely... Court case out of it, though. I mean, her right. dad in the ACLU yeah. said, "No, no, we are going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court." And, yeah, and, and, it's, well, and, and you ACLU, know how long that takes? She's yeah. in college now. She's in college. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And the ACLU has a history of of uh, defending unpopular and even unpleasant speech. You know, going all the way back mm -hmm. to the case involving you know Skokie. Skokie, Illinois, right. the Nazis, um, yeah, and you know they they I I don't have kids, um, but I do have a history with the ACLU and free speech. When I was mm -hmm. in uh, junior high school, I was suspended for publishing an underground newspaper, really, and it was the ACLU that uh, took my case uh, to the school board. It didn't have to go to court. They took it to the school board, and the school board reinstated me, and uh, and they and they said you could hand out his newspapers in the lunchroom. He just, you know, can't go into classrooms and do it. But we were, we, I think we had either three or four editions that we uh, published. And, uh, and we, and thanks to the ACLU, we, That's awesome. uh, we, we got to do it. What yeah. a great story. That's fantastic. See, Ed and I have a lot in common because I too have what? an ACLU high school story. What? Yep. Oh, my wow. best friend, my best friend wore a, uh, there's a punk band called Bad Religion and their sign is, the cross crossed out called a cross buster and he would wear it to school. The principal told him he couldn't wear it and it kicked off a whole dress code fight in our school and ACL came in and, you know, we were going to sue them, but they backed down. So yeah, they're, um, they're a good organization and they, you learn yeah. a lot in high school about them. The, I, the shirt. I, both, both of those are, are good ACLU cases. It, it, dealing with on-campus speech, but I think it's even right. harder yeah. to make the case that something that's done off-campus off campus. Campus yeah. should be yeah. reachable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. There you go. There's the, yeah, there you go. the bad religion <laughs> logo. Causes a lot of looks, especially in public high school. <laughs> wow. We're, we got a couple of rebels here. I'll tell you, that's awesome. <laughs> it's great. Great to have you. Um, gosh, we're kind of at the two hour mark. Is there any other story uh, that I have missed a bad week for Bitcoin. China is now shutting down over 90% of its Bitcoin mining capacity, uh, which has led to a uh, drop in the speed with which Bitcoin hashes are calculated, slowing down the transaction rate. Bitcoin, maybe coincidentally, also uh, went down in value. And then there was the South African Bitcoin... Uh, 
Oh, the, oh, the brothers? Brothers, yeah, who yeah. <laughs> disappeared with a significant amount of Bitcoin, probably the biggest since Mt. Gox uh, disappearance of uh, Bitcoin. Uh, they were creating a Bitcoin investment fund and uh, claimed they had been hacked uh, for $3.6 billion, then disappeared. Um, uh huh. Probably were, probably was hacked. They were probably hacked. Yeah. I just, I do not, I, I do not understand. I, I cannot, uh, wrap my mind around where cryptocurrency is going to end up in the, uh, in the scheme of things. It, there, there seems to be this sort of wall that it hits some point where it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't take the place of fiat currency. I don't care what the country of El Salvador does, you know, uh, it's, uh, and they may and live just, to regret, by the way. I mean, it's such a volatile yeah, currency. Yeah, they may but, live to regret that choice. I, I just, I just don't, uh, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't wait to see how it ends. But I just can't. I, I keep trying to plot this out and seeing how you know how it all works out. I know uh, I saw that um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is now they're on their third cryptocurrency yes, fund, huge now. fund. They're, yeah, they're up to you know billions of dollars that they're investing in cryptocurrency infrastructure and brokers and traders and stuff. And this just seems to me like you know, be, beanie babies where you don't even get a beanie baby. You know, I just don't understand. You don't even get a beanie baby. What's the point? You could get a crypto kitty. I, Does that count? You can. You can. There you go. I, I, that, I think that's that well put in the sense, Ed, that you don't know what's going to happen. It's not like this yeah, is a bad right. idea, but I don't, I don't, I don't either see clearly how this happens. I think something's happening, but I don't understand how it's even yeah. even major uh, uh, government banks, including the Federal Reserve, have said some sort of stable coin might well be a in the future for uh, for governments. Uh, there's a lot to be. I mean, really, these days your dollar bill is as digital as anything. None of my I I don't have cash for anything I own. It's all bits being you know in ledgers decentralized ledgers is the only and, and touchless uh touchless payment yeah. has just basically become i don't they, they just I, like i don't give the like cashier virtual, at the grocery store anything i, I don't just like virtual meetings my watch and, over it yeah virtual meetings and virtual school were able to skip like five years uh yeah. thanks to the pandemic right and and, and virtual touchless. payments have yep. done the same thing i agree 100 touchless payments i actually look now for somewhere where i can use my apple watch to pay and I'm very always very happy when I find it. And it, and I have to say, by the way, it, it when I first started doing that, I think it was with a Samsung uh, phone or watch. People thought I was crazy. Now it's like obvious, you know. Everybody does it. But you're still using dollars. Yeah, they're technically dollars, mm -hmm. but that's just a word. I mean, I do carry cash, right. but yeah, because no, I but it's, all crypto is it's. 
It's yeah. very complicated. Right. Like we're all, most of us here involved in tech and it's like, oh, as soon as you start going yeah. into crypto, yeah. it, it becomes very, very complicated, not just economics, but in terms of how it works, um, how to back it up, the ledgers and the keys. And then that's just dealing with like, say, Bitcoin. We all understand, okay, there's this thing, Bitcoin. But then when you learn there's like 150 other cryptocurrencies out there and even more, you can just create them yourself. It becomes very weird. Like, what is that? That is one thing to say, here's the U.S. dollar. Here's an alternative to the U.S. dollar. What does it mean when there's 200 other alternatives right. all of a sudden? Which one means anything, right? So I think that's basically puts us another way. I don't think Apple would ever invent this, right? It's too opaque for the masses to really get involved with. It's also yeah, risky. The I mean, look at these guys yeah. who just made off with 69,000 Bitcoin or Mt. Gox where people lost a lot of money. Now the UK yep. financial watchdog has banned Binance saying they're violating you know, some sort of UK finance rules. That's, a, that's one of the big Bitcoin exchanges. Uh, Binance Markets Limited is not permitted to undertake any regulated activity in the UK as of yesterday. So it is, I think it's, it, that's part of the, that's probably the biggest problem. It's just I read that article and was unclear on whether that meant they couldn't continue to let people buy and sell I think or whether a, it was more of a is, isn't securities that a Isn't that a regulated activity though? I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. I, I do know that the SEC, to the extent they've weighted in in the United States, has, has looked at ICOs and things like that and, and treated them as securities falling within the securities laws and wanting to curtail fraud and things around that. But but that's different than saying you can't buy and sell. And to be clear, it was Binance Markets Limited, and that's not mm -hmm. the same as Binance.com. In fact, Binance says yeah. BML is a separate legal entity, does not offer any products or services via the Binance.com website. So Binance.com continues. And still, it's got to make you a little nervous if, you, if you're using Binance to store your Bitcoin yeah. in the UK, Although, right? As, as, as pointed out in the uh, IRC chat, and it's, I can val verify this, uh, Bitcoin's going up again. So Yeah, yeah we raised $2,000 with this conversation alone. So. <laughs> yeah, people, so. people are buying the dip. I mean, they always buy the dip, right? Buy the dip. Buy always the dip. buy the dip, yes, exactly. It's all going to work out. <laughs> dip yeah. coin. That's, I'm, dip, dip coin. Well, I'm coming up with dip, dip coin. coin. Buy Everyone's going to buy it. Buy the dip. I love it. That's the slogan. At least it's original. It's not a dog meme. Yeah. Okay. Never, yeah Don't I, knock I the doge, the doge man. Don't knock the doge. All right. I, I was going to do the, the... I think I was going to mention Facebook launching live audio rooms and podcasts. Who cares? I don't care. I don't care. So I'm a, I mentioned it. I did it. There's the story. Read about it if you want. Uh, I think we should wrap this up. It has been so much fun to hang out with you guys. Uh, Denise Howell, I miss you. Love having you on the network. Whenever you can give us some time, it's really great to have you. DeniseHowell.info is her website. Anything you want to plug? Yeah, if you don't mind. I, I launched my little business that I've mentioned on Twit before. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I've found it even more difficult to, to get out of the house and sort of put yourself together in a yes. way that bears public scrutiny after the pandemic. Like some of us have lost those skills entirely. So to assist you with that and uh, also to assist the planet, I started a little business called Fits with Fits, uh, which is using sustainable 
pre-loved clothing that is pre-styled for you. So you can turn yourself out. Hopefully oh. Leo and others have, have told me over the years, they like the way I put things together. So I'm putting things together for you. So if you go to fits with fits.com, you can possibly pick up something for yourself or a gift for someone else. I've tried very hard to make things pretty size neutral so that you can buy one of these sets and it would even it. fit me. It's, uh, I don't. Mm. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're, really, they're more. They're more aimed at women. Okay. So could you spell it too. so I get it right? F I T S. F I T S. Yeah. W I T H F I T S. Fits fits with fits. Yes. And and fits this comes fits. from your Instagram, which is uh, as I've said many times, so fun because uh, you pose in your outfit of the day, all of which acquired at secondhand stores. Uh, that's so great. And so you've now made this a uh, little, uh, business and y- yes, you know what? Lisa's going to be thrilled because every time your name comes up, she says, I love how she dresses. I love how she looks. We've always enjoyed your eclectic look and now you can be participating with. Yeah, it's fun. It lets, lets me fits. sort of, you know, experience the business considerations that my clients are always wailing to me about. It lets me kick the tires on longtime sponsors here like Squarespace. And so it's a good I love honor. it. Well, yeah. uh, you know, what's, gr- what's great is uh, lately I've been thinking a lot about sustainability. And the biggest problem we have in, in this world is we're a consumer culture. We buy stuff, we throw it away, we buy more stuff, we throw it away. Uh, this is this is the ultimate in recycling. I think this is a uh, this is very good for the world. Circular fashion. Circular fashion. F I T S with F I T S dot com, and you get what monthly drops or seasonal? I uh, know these seasonal. are it's seasonal. Yeah, so the the spring summer drop is live now. Very nice. Twenty twenty one outfits for summer twenty one. How do you get twenty one of anything? I mean, how do you get that? Do you, they're all different or I don't understand. They're all different. Yeah. Each one of these is a set of four pieces, usually four. I see. So once somebody buys it, yeah. it's gone forever. Yes. Got it. One of a kind. Oh, I like that tie. The Norman Rockwell tie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Father's Day's over, so it's too late, unfortunately, for me. Thank you, Denise. Great to see you. Thank I'm glad. You. Congratulations on the new business. That's wonderful. Thanks. Daniel Rubino is executive editor at Windows Central. Always a great place to get the latest Windows news. Anything you want to mention? Uh, it's going to be a busy year. Uh, Windows 11, obviously, is going to be big. So we're going to have plenty of guides explaining all the new features, how to upgrade your PC, and just a lot of content around that, as well as Xbox and gaming. So uh, we're we're very excited for the, the rest of the year. It's yeah, a lot of fun. I uh, I ended up uh, getting a, a Dell Alienware gaming machine, but now I'm starting to look at laptops, and so I want to get a Windows 11 laptop. I'll have to check out your uh, your reviews, to find out which one I should get. There's a lot of good stuff out there, actually, and more coming. I'm sure. A lot of good stuff. Yeah. HP's uh, doing the best right now, in my opinion. You like the HP the uh, the um, Spectres or the Elite book? The Spectre 14 is just a phenomenal laptop. It's got OLED, 4K, it's a convertible pen support, really nice keyboard. Um, but, you know, they're all doing well. Actually, Dell, Lenovo also make incredible machines, and now Razer is involved with uh, non-gaming laptops. So they're all uh, they're all easy to recommend. I had the first yeah, that's Spectre, a, that's, the copper one. I really loved it. Yes. The, not yeah. the 360? Yeah, the 14, though, is... is yeah, this, the, the X, the 14, the one you just showed, is this one. just phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I really like the design, the style of these. Um, HP's 
transformed their business because they used to be the junkware kings. They would load more crap right. on their computers than anybody. Uh, but yep. I think when they spun off HPE, HP, whatever they call it, um, suddenly they got more focused on the PC side, and it's really good, really good stuff. Oh, now you got maybe I'm going to have to pull out the credit card. Couldn't I thought I'd be buying an Apple laptop by now, but no. Get the, uh, get the OLED model. That's all I'll say. Oh, I love the OLED, OLED is incredible. Oh, I love OLED. Yeah. Bad battery life, though, probably. Yeah, yeah it's all right. It's, it's not bad at all. It still looks good. That's the most important thing. How's it yeah. run Linux? That's all I really care about. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, um, it should run Linux just fine. I know yeah. some, of, some of the HP and some of the Dell laptops you can order with Linux. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a Dell XPS 13 came with uh, Ubuntu. Yep. Love it. Mr. Ed Bot, the Ed Bot report in ZDNet, my old buddy. Anything you'd like to plug these days? Uh, well, you know, you start a fashion business. I think that might be a good idea. <laughs> no, I'm not going to try and compete no? there. All right, okay. I'm not going to try and compete there. But when you know, I uh, when this week's announcements were coming out, I thought uh, that I'd be talking to my publisher about doing Windows 11 inside out and. Of course, I will be That's talking the book. to them Windows next 10 book. week. Yeah. But Windows 10 Inside Out 4th Edition looks like it's going to have a little more life than I thought. Yes, so, uh, that's right. So run out and buy that one. Run it out. Uh, Could you, is it in it, on Amazon? Do you are you uh, self published? Where do you where is where can I find? Oh, it's it? on it's on Amazon. It's published. Uh, it's under the Microsoft Press oh, label. Nice. But it's uh, but it's Pearson that actually publishes that licenses. Oh, I know the those guys. Microsoft Press uh, label, yeah. and um, it's a you know it's the fourth edition, of, it's the fourth print edition, but it's the seventh actual wow. edition that we've done. Wow. And uh, I think you know we really uh, well. It's the most secure edition we've ever done. Is wow. that is that how I'm it's supposed the to most? Say it? It's the thinnest book we've ever <laughs> written. No, no, no. That's not right. <laughs> Definitely wrong. It's the most secure. That's uh, good. I think that's no, good. but I think it's um, I, you know I think we've got a lot of really great content in there that's aimed at people who already know Windows and uh, but but there's just things in Windows 10 that you just don't notice until someone points them right. out to you and that was right. sort of our mission with this edition and uh, I think we did a great job. Nice, uh, nice. So. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Denise. Thank you all for joining us. We do Twit every Sunday right after the Tech Guy. Now, a little programming note. Next Sunday is the 4th of July. I hear that in the United States, that's a big holiday. We don't want our people to work on the 4th of July. So we're going to do Twit on Saturday instead on July 3rd. So if you like to watch live, little programming note. Same time, which is uh, 2130 UTC. That's 2.30 p.m. Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. Uh, so next time, it'll be Saturday from then on Sunday at that time. Uh, you can watch us live at twit.tv slash live. There's live audio and video feeds. If you're doing that chat at irc.twit.tv, those are all the people watching live. Or if you're a member of Club Twit in our Club Twit Discord. Uh, after the fact, on-demand versions of this show and every show we do available in a variety of places. Of course, every show has a YouTube channel. Uh, but on the website, twit.tv, you'll find a link to that YouTube channel. Uh, you'll also find the links you can use to subscribe in a podcast player, including just the plain old RSS feed. That's probably the best way to get it. That way, that way you get it automatically. And if your podcast player uh, offers a review section, please leave us a five-star review. Spread the word. Let others know about this week 
in tech. We've been around a long time, but believe it or not, there's still some people who have never heard of Twit. Don't forget, we are going on an Alaska cruise in 2022. If you'd like to join us in July, a Twit cruise is going to be a lot of fun. Some great people are coming along. Uh, find out more at cruise.twit.tv. Cruise.twit.tv. We figured July 2022, things should have settled down a little bit. Going to go up and see the salmon and the grizzly bears and have a great time. The glaciers cruise.twit.tv I look forward to it Lisa and I'll be on that uh, cruise if, I think we're getting close to the uh, the number of signups I, I think it's close to 60 which means we can add another host we're going to see which we can, I already asked Steve Gibson he says Lori won't let me go on cruises but maybe we can talk him into it anyway we'll let you know uh, when we uh, invite additional hosts um, that's about it for the show thank you everybody for being here we'll see you next week remember Saturday July 3rd for the live show Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye.